moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast podcast. It's Tuesday, December 21st, 2021, and this is the People's Podcast. This is Steak for Breakfast. Smokey, this is not Nam. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior, America! Steak for breakfast! So stand by! This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. You can find them at manrubs.com and on Instagram, Man Rubs. They have rubs, barbecue tools, blow torches, t-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again. Use the code STEAK15 for 15% off your entire order. Also brought to you by Stay Ready Gear. They're at stayreadygear.com and on Instagram, stayreadygearusa. Holsters, custom Kydex, mag carriers, tourniquet carriers, on and off duty gear for you, law enforcement and military. You need something custom, they will melt something up just for you. Put your dog's face on it. Put my dog's face on it. Hey. Anything. Use the code STEAK for 5% off. Don't get ready. Stay ready. Well, we're in the Christmas week now, and I can't think of any company that's going to beat, number one, the big boxers. Number two, Pete Buttigieg's. Chest feeder. That's Mike Lindell at My Pillow. Now partnering with Steak for Breakfast. Over 600 items appearing in the My Pillow store. You can meet all of your Christmas needs. Get them up to 66% off and more at mypillow.com forward slash steak. Use promo code steak at checkout or talk to a pillow representative about holiday gift ideas or election integrity. How do you become a pillow specialist? You work for My Pillow. Yep. 1-800-658-8045. The world's most technologically advanced in-studio recording gear specializing in headphones can be found at odyssey.com. Whether you're gaming, potting, or on a holiday vacation, get over to odyssey.com. They're the top tier of ear gear. Find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Well, going to see if I'm naughty or nice this year. Ask for a shotgun for Christmas. Yeah? Probably not going to get it. But if you do want one, you can get it from Mike down at West Coast Survival Arms. He's been servicing Southern California for over a decade. He's got a five-star rating. And in case you want to trade one, he's a licensed FFL. Mike's got a newly redesigned website at West Coast Survival Arms. You can talk to him on Facebook Messenger or via the telephone, 619-870-6992. First responders working hard in the holiday season. Accidents are up. Suicides are always a uh, big factor during the holiday season. And uh, these guys are out here serving on the front lines. When they're off duty, they're wearing gear from Mediocre Medic. Sweatshirts, t-shirts, flip-flops, fanny packs, and more. While they're on duty, they got the patches on their responder bags, putting stickers on the outside of the buses, the ambulances, fire trucks, police cruisers. MediocreMedic.com. Find them on Instagram. And then finally, get that Grinch Zero Fucks Duck. Dumpbox.us. Mark Joe Friday. 
owner, operator, CEO of some of the finest patches you'll ever waste money on. Dumpbox.us, they're on Instagram, and they're on Facebook. Friends, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Steak for Podcast Breakfast. There you'll find a link tree that'll take us to all your social medias, the website, the telegram, and more. And on that note, welcome. Tuesday edition, episode 92, Steak for Breakfast podcast. I'm Roan. Noah's here. Yo. Antoinette's joined in. Hi, guys. How are you? We're going to bring you guys Seth Keschel a little bit later, but joining us first to do the news, making her first appearance on the show, very special guest. She is the, uh, she's a Christian singer. And uh, believe it or not, she's a Latina that will open your mind. And she's on the National Board of the Lexit Movement. Becky, Grace, thanks for joining us today. Becky, in the house. Thank you guys for inviting me. It's such an honor to be here with you guys today. How are you guys? The pleasure is all ours. Um, we're doing good. Merry Christmas week. Um, mm -hmm. we, we're going to have a, a great show today. We're glad to uh, have you. We want to introduce you to our listening audience. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, what you got going on. You're a pretty big influencer online. That's one of the things that drew my attention. You thought you'd be a good voice to come on and co-host with us today. And uh, yeah, let's <laughs> let everybody get to know you. Thank you. Thank you so much. So a little bit about me. I sing since I was four years old. I write my own songs. Yes, uh, Spanish is my first language. I was born in the United States, raised in Puerto Rico. And uh, yes, that that's uh, the reason why I have an accent. <laughs> I love my accent so much. It, it makes me who I am, actually. It's part of my personality. And um, I came back here... I'm in New Jersey. I came back when I was 19 and um, I had to learn English. I didn't know no English at all. And I learned I couldn't go to school at that time. I, I couldn't afford it to go to school at that time because of, you know, we have to hustle as soon as you get back and all these things. And then I became a mom and, you know, the, the rest. So um, besides that, I've always been an entrepreneur. I've been uh, in the beauty industry. Um, professionally speaking for the last 11 years, I was a nurse. So I was in the medical field and now I am a, um, first grade, second grade teacher oh, wow. at a awesome. Christian school. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like you've so been a little bit busy to say the least. And, and we're glad to have you today. Thanks for taking time out of that. What seems like busy schedule for, uh, you know, to jump on the podcast and do some news with us today. I want to ask you real quick, the Lexit movement. Why don't, why don't you rehash that one a little bit and, and let our listening audience know just about, you know, what's going on with that. Definitely. I mean, a lot of people always ask, um, some people ask it for a good reason. And some people ask like, you know, there's always going to be haters and like, Oh, what is Lexit doing? So the Lexit movement uh, was founded by, of course, a uh, majority of people that are aware and familiar with the movement uh, by Jesse Holguin. Mm -hmm. That's my brother. Not only cries, like he's, he's a brother and he, uh, welcomed me, uh, last year in February, um, of 2020, uh, that same week I opened my business and thanks to, uh, the amazing smart governor, we have me being sarcastic, Phil Murphy, I mm. lost my business literally one month right after because they closed everything. Um, but anyway, mo uh, the movement has always been focusing on educating the Latino community, the Latino community that um, 
are always following the news, uh, of course, the media. In my case, as a Spanish speaking, I'm one of the few uh, Latinas in the movement that can fluently speak Spanish. And I'm able to open the eyes. And that's why I use that a lot in my bio. Um, I opened the eyes of so many people out there that the only resources they have, including in Puerto Rico, the only resources they have is Univision and Telemundo. They don't have any more resources. Uh, Puerto Rico right now, that's all they know. Whatever the TV tells them about the big land, mainland, the motherland, that's all they know. Whatever the news tell them. Yeah, we got to get you hooked up with Keisha Montes. She's a regular guest on <laughs> yeah. this show. And, uh, you know, she's a pretty big influencer from the Dominican Republic who now recently moved to New York in the last couple months. And, and she's out there working. So it would be good to hook you guys up. Yeah, no, we're friends. And we actually share the same last name, actually. We are both really? Montes. No way. Yeah. Yes. That's awesome. Man, I could hear some spirited conversations happening with those two. Um, I know, right? <laughs> when you have them both on, that'd be amazing. <laughs> yeah, that would be pretty awesome. Geisha's coming back in uh, a few episodes for our 100th, um, which is going to be on January 18th. And I think that's going to be her eighth or ninth time on the show. We love her. It's like when somebody like thinks I speak more Spanish than I really do. And I, cause I say a couple things to them that sound okay. okay. And then they start machine gunning at me and I'm like, what? And you lost me. Mon Monday? <laughs> that's me. I'm trying to stick to my English right now. I'm thinking in Spanish and talking in English actually. <laughs> <laughs> I, I used to do that because I used to live in Spain for a while. And then um, I, I have like a really good pronunciation because I speak Albanian and like the tongue with Albanian, like you could speak a lot of different languages. So people thought I was actually like legit from Spain. And I'm like, OK, like if you're in like Galicia, for example, like this north, you know, uh, uh, west, they speak so fast. And I'm like, oh, my God, like, I don't know that much. Stop, you know, tranquilo, por favor. I can't understand everything. <laughs> oh. Yeah, that's one of the reasons. Uh, I think that's one of the most important missions of the movement, the, the Lexit movement. Not mm -hmm. uh, We're one of the few movements that uh, give an actual voice to the community. We're not there for the shout outs. Like, you don't see us in too many events. And when we go, we are more like a grassroots uh, movement more than anything else. Mm -hmm. Um and that's what I like about Lexit. And the other thing is that we put God first. And that's very important to me um, because we have those core values right. in our movement. And we just just not welcome everyone. Oh, yeah, come here. Like, no, if you don't, if you're not accorded with our core values, then we can't work together. And that resonates with the Latin community and the Hispanic community big time. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, one hundred percent. Can we get to the bottom of how you pronounce Latin, Latinx, Latinx? Like, what? How do you say? Ay, Dios mío, don't get me started into that topic. <laughs> I knew that was going to be a good. Because we we will need more hours here. Okay, <laughs> I mean, I did a statistic uh, around my my city. My city. I'm I'm in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Oh, we that's where are I was the born. Third, yes, we are the third biggest city of the state, and I'm happen to be the chairwoman. Uh, of the Republican Party here in, in Elizabeth. And let me tell you something, guys. I've been going around asking people, like, would you rather be called Latinx or Latino or Latina? And people just, they literally want to curse me out. <laughs> <laughs> we do not, that's, that's something that came out of, like, Media. I don't know who, it was not Latinos, definitely. White people? Yeah, probably Weird. white people. Yeah, I, I don't want to <laughs> say it, I will say liberal, white liberal. Oh, yeah, there you go. well, you know. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. 
Um, they they want to break our, our Spanish. They want to make new words that are not part of our vocabulary. Um, they want to take the double L and the double R and the N out of our um, ABCs. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, uh, no. Oh, really? Yes. It's my favorite yes. part. And they're starting to influence the uh, liberal Latinos into saying um, the the whole pronoun thing that it sounds ridiculous in Spanish. Okay. It sounds ridiculous. I can't even imagine. Well, they're trying to, they're trying to water down everybody's like traditional culture like, yeah. in every way whatsoever, you know? So if they're, if they can get to the Latin community, it would be a huge win for them. Listening to people yeah. talk where they're trying, like using the weird pro pronouns and all that stuff. Like, I can't imagine that in in the Latin community. Like this is my friend; he's a bather. It's like what? <laughs> no, but people like in in my community, for example, they were like, "What the f are you talking about?" You know, like with the whole pronoun thing. Like I know what you are. Like you know, don't tell. Me. <laughs> Crazy thing is, uh, it doesn't make sense when you go to um any website and you're ordering something. It says men and women. Yeah. No yeah. matter how you feel or how ma many times you change your birth certificate. Same thing with the medical field. Me as a nurse, and if I'm treating you and you, I give you some paperwork, you have to check either or. There's nothing Biology. else. There's treatment. <laughs> Biologically speaking and scientifically speaking, there's only you know, treatments for men and there's only treatments for women. So if you lie to me, I give you some prostate pills. That's your problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I was thinking like with people doing their, doing the stuff with the, the vaccines and whatnot, it's like, can you imagine like myself personally, if I was in that situation, I wouldn't want to like throw a wrench in the works to that mm -hmm. point to jeopardize me getting the exemption. But like, if I had a job that didn't matter, I'd be like, yeah, I'm going to identify as a vaccinated female. And it's like, well, yeah, but you're not vaccinated. It's like, are you saying I'm not female? Because <laughs> you could literally just do what they do with well, everything. Yeah, flip with it that. on them. Just be and like, just, all right, yeah. And like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. Like, I'm so sorry. Yeah. It, but if you're not on their team, then they don't let you do that. They sure don't. No. But, but especially I'm me. I'm walking with purple hair and shit. <laughs> uh, but especially me as a teacher now is so, um, I feel great in the in the position that i'm in now because i'm able to i guess help this new generation yeah. at least the few students that i have and influence them and impact them in a in a very you know very positive way like for example uh all my students they know the anthem they know the pledges they they love the flag they know why the flag has the 13 stripes and what everything means on that flag they know to love their country when the, you know, the independence and who, ev everything about our history. And this is first and second grade students. Beautiful. Um, when I put like some lessons and I hear the Latinx, I was like, okay, guys, so the world <laughs> love it. is saying Latinx, but it's Latino or Latina. Okay, Miss Becky. <laughs> You know, you got to teach them right since the beginning. Yeah, you're sure do. And it's really refreshing to hear that. Yeah, it's we really need more more people like you. Um, it's hard for teachers right now in general that are like you, too, because you're surrounded and kind of outnumbered in a way, especially in certain Democrat like run states and whatnot. But you can only do so much, but you're doing a really big service to these children. That's amazing. I wouldn't know what to tell kids. I'd just be like, this is what people who are mentally challenged would say. 
yeah. this is what TV says, and that's it. Yeah. it, it it's not real. <laughs> no. Yeah, I, I remember a coworker once when I was teaching them that he was like, wait a second. I mean, why don't you want to teach the whole X thing? And I'm like, okay, uh, this is to try to like do this and do that. And this is the ideology. And this is what they're trying to do. Oh, oh, now I get it. Like a lot of people don't even get it. They think it's uh -huh. just like, oh, you're being a racist against or like homophobic. No, it's, it's not. We don't, we don't identify it as Latin X. Period. Well, we don't want to be called that. Compartmentalize yeah. people into different groups. It's yep. that way you can say like, well, these people identify as Latin X, so they're on this team. So it just further separates the people why don't, you in that. why don't you ask a latino or latina about it instead of just like you know assuming it's like it's that easy people you know it's, yeah. it's like which latino committee decided <laughs> none nobody nobody wants to recall that like literally nobody wants to recall that for sure don't you feel it, like a woman then you're that. a latina you feel like a man you're a latino but don't change my my eye and my and my O. <laughs> yeah, it's probably the people that did like the 23 and me and ancestry.com that are like 0.01% oh, yeah, Hispanic that are like, I'm Latinx. Yeah, <laughs> All right, well, let's jump into the news. President Trump's been making the rounds lately. He was on Maria over the weekend, in addition to doing two tour stops in Texas, I believe Houston and Dallas, for uh, his history tour with Bill O'Reilly. Some of the clips I was able to pull from those were pretty good and had some good information. One that we're going to talk about after we listen to it is this never-ending not giving it up on the vaccine and the booster stuff. You know, we've talked about it on this show in extent. We've had a lot of guests, doctors, and, and such that have weighed in on it. We've had, Becky, I'm not sure if you know, Dr. Peter Navarro, who was Trump's top and longest assistant, aside from Dan Scavino and Stephen Miller, for the entirety of his, uh, you know, from day one of the campaign all the way up through the day he left Washington, D.C. in January, you know, and, and Peter Navarro really kind of gave us some insight onto the whole vaccine and Operation Warp Speed and, and, and has alluded to it even up through this weekend where they did a whole expose on Dr. Fauci with Robert Kennedy kind of talking about how the vaccine was originally designed um, to be out so fast so we could take the people who are really medically inclined, three to four comorbidities, extremely obese, you know, people that live in homes and stuff, and protect them. And he said since then, the, the narrative by Francis Collins and, and Dr. Fauci and Rachel Walensky has kind of been hijacked and they've turned it into what it is today. Vaccines for everybody, mandates everywhere. And, you know, Peter Navarro says now when they try to explain that and they even have supporting documentation through, you know, internal emails, uh, Peter Navarro took a journal that was detailed all throughout that went, came out in his new book in Trump time. And they show how what went on behind the scenes, what the public doesn't get to see, you know, they call them conspiracy theories and saying they want people to die and all this other stuff. So let's listen to Trump when he's at this event this weekend with Bill O'Reilly down in Texas, kind of talk about the boosters and the vaccines and what his feeling on the whole narrative is it, of it is right now. But look, we did something that was historic. We saved tens of millions of lives worldwide. We, together, all of us, not me, we. We got a vaccine done, three vaccines done, and tremendous therapeutics like Regeneron and other things that have saved a lot of lives. We got a vaccine done in less than nine months that was supposed to take from five to 12 years. Because of that vaccine, because of that vaccine, 
millions and millions of people. I think this would have been the Spanish flu of 1917, where up to 100 million people died. This was going to ravage the country far beyond what it is right now. Take credit for it. Take credit for it. It's a great — what we've done is historic. Don't let them take it away. Don't take it away from ourselves. You're playing that — you're playing right into their hands when you sort of like, oh, the vaccine. If you don't want to take it, you shouldn't be forced to take it. No go. mandates. But take credit, because we saved tens of millions of lives. Take credit. Don't let them take that away from you. Okay. So the president made news — Do you agree with that? Right? Both the president and I are vaxxed, and uh, did you get the booster? Yes. I got it, too. Okay, so... Um, oh, don't, 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 no, no. That's all. There's a very tiny group over there. Very tiny group of booze in the back. <laughs> <laughs> so, now, I mean, you know what? And I, we've said it since he originally had mentioned that whole narrative. He continued today with the boosters, but started it, I believe, it was in Mississippi when he had a rally earlier this year, and he, and he received some booze from some people. And, and, and we feel that they're, they're well-intended because... There's a narrative that he can't speak as elegantly on as like Peter, like Peter Navarro and the people that were really working behind the front lines can. And he has a really hard time expressing it when he tries to, because I think he feels bad that, you know, they've demonized this whole movement. And part of that he takes as one of the uh, successes of his time as president. So, I mean, obviously we're not vaccinated. We don't care about the boosters. We, we're all in high exposure environments here on this show. And, uh, you know, could care less about anything that Dr. Fauci and the CDC and Joe Biden says about it, Joe Byron. But, uh, you know, it's one of those things where what's your whole take on it, Becky? What do, you, what do you see? You know, the president tries to struggle to get that narrative apart. I don't think it helps him at all. But at the same time, we've pointed out on the show when it originally came out and it was intended for all those old people, it probably did get to sick people who are in the millions that are old and have diseases that probably didn't die from COVID because they weren't stuffed in nursing homes by Cuomo and Murphy and Whitmer and Governor Wilf. And he can't disenfranchise that whole people and come out and say, I'm, I'm totally against the vaccine. You know, you're going to die if you take it. And, and you know, it, it's one of those things he has to kind of walk on a fine line for because it disenfranchises a lot of people who supported him in it. Okay, so I I have a position into that, and I've, I'm going to always hold into it until I see something different. But mm -hmm. I continue to see the same thing that I, I've been seeing since the beginning. We have a very proud president who has been the best president in my lifetime. Of course, a lot of people have said that, and, and many people feel the same way. And he's the type of president that whatever he said he was going to do, he did. And that was one of his to him, um, achievements. And being Donald J. Trump, it's like, don't take that away from me. I did that. Yep. I yeah. did that. So if you try to take that away from me, there's going to be a problem. So yes, a lot of people is not agreeing with the vaccine because it's being mandated. If it, if, if it was not mandated, people wouldn't even care about the vaccine. They'd be like, ah, I'll, I just don't get it or I'll get it. But it's being so pushed by the left, okay? Because check check the, the the whole thing. As soon as he said, we got the vaccine, a lot of people will say, oh, are you sure you're gonna have it by uh, before November? Are you sure you're gonna have it? That was the left. And then he said, yes, we are. And he pushed forward, everything got set up, everything got approved. Wait, we got the, the vaccine under Trump's administration. That's all he wanted. He wanted to say, I said before this date, and you guys got it before this date. 
it was his achievement. Whether the vaccine is good or not, it was his achievement. He promised that and he wanted to deliver. Yeah. Yeah. So one, so one, he didn't that, make that's the point. And, 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 and one more thing is like, as soon as that happens, what happened with the Democrats? Oh, I ain't getting that. I'm nope. not getting the Trump vaccine. Exactly. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing it. And everyone was demonizing. The left was demonizing the vaccine. Once they come into power, oh, now the vaccine is the best and we are mandating it. Why? Because they need control to continue to win more elections. It has nothing to do with the vaccine being good or bad. Yes, I, I'm a former research coordinator. As a nurse, I did research coordinator. I, I was coordinating 12 different research studies. Right now, this is an ongoing study until 2023. It's not hidden from nobody. It's public records. And you can call any of those three companies that are doing it, and you're going to find out. Yep. No. But we, we can't blame Trump for him wanting to get it because a lot of people got it. And it's hypocritical for many of us as conservatives to judge whoever gets it because then we're doing the same thing the left is doing to us for not getting it. Right. You know, I am constantly attacked as a Christian and and also as a professional into, oh, you don't have the vaccine, why you have why you have not gotten it. I don't need it. I don't do the flu. I don't do no vaccines. I only have vaccinated my kids until one year old. And after that, no more vaccines. I am no I'm not I'm not a vaccine person. Never, never been. And I'm in the medical field. Good for you. Yeah, it seems pretty so, simple I don't enough. know if you guys got my point about the question with Trump and the vaccine. So now, like you said, he can't burn himself because if he said, oh, the vaccine is not good, he's saying my vaccine is not good yep. because that's his vaccine. He approved right. it. He It was under his administration, and that's why he's saying be proud of it and take credit for it because it's his credit. He promised and he delivered and the left was saying oh you're killing us you are the worst president because <laughs> you left everything open or oh, you're racist you're whatever phobic and and he's like oh you want the vaccine here's your vaccine yep. right and he you know he forced their hand too because they were not going to release the vaccine no. And we all know from data that they were working on this vaccine for like five years. Right? Well, they were so. going to release it the day after he was out of office, which is what happened. Yeah, so yeah they, they so announced they it on November 7th. So, yeah, right. Uh, they that, could take the credit and all this stuff. But I really like you. Trump cannot come out against the vaccine now. He He's taking the credit for essentially really getting forcing them to release this vaccine under EUA so they cannot mandate it, which when he says I've saved millions of lives, meaning this country would have been shut down and 300 million people's lives would be ruined, basically. Ruined, ruined er. Yeah, exactly. And everybody would be mandated to get the shot that is killing a lot of people and disabling a lot of people as well. And then our economy would have been destroyed, our country destroyed, and it would have caused a lot more devastation than than what we have now. Right, And you know what? He made a wartime decision, the only one that he could make that was available to him. And, you know, they are obviously there are people that believe in vaccines and wanted this vaccine. Right. Yeah, exactly. But they're in a small category, I believe, to be honest. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Um, yeah, they- I just think that this was a move that he made that, that when he says I've saved millions of lives, it, I don't think he's talking about the vaccine per se. I think he's talking about the fact that he pushed the deep state to show their hand and put it out there so it cannot under EUA to not get mandated. And 
you know, he's, I mean, like, like, you know, everybody says, you know, he plays chess and he did save us from the worst possible scenario, even though this is a bad one still, but you know, come on. I don't even know. I don't know why people expect this guy to sit there and start talking crap about the vaccine now. Yeah, it, just, it, it, it doesn't help. Just imagine if the left was able to hijack lockdowns forever and zoom exactly. school forever. I mean, they got to hijack vaccines. And for those who don't think it's anything other than that narrative, just go back and listen to some of the montages that are on YouTube or on rumble that we've played on this show and extent in every public prominent Government official talking about how this vaccine will never go in their body are the same people that are firing people from jobs now for not getting it. So yep. for those with short memories or for those people that don't like to do the research, I strongly suggest you go and take a deep dive into uh, which people were saying the vaccine was going to kill them prior to being able to weaponize it against the American people. It's weird. It's That's all the same funny. people that are the strongest proponents for it now. That's mm -hmm. what I just said. Yeah. Uh, Trump sat down with Maria for an interview over the weekend, and they talked about the root causes of this whole narrative that we're now discussing. It's Dr. Fauci. You know, we've heard Peter Navarro, Cash Patel, and others who have been on this show talk about if there's one thing they wish he would have done, even as, as bad as the optics would have looked, if he'd done it, it was to fire Dr. Fauci in the midst of all this. And now, as some of these backroom meetings and things are being exposed, where Dr. Fauci killed therapeutics like ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, and monoclonal antibodies in the womb that are just starting to get out there now and only push for the vaccine because he was one of the people running it and most likely making money off of it. Uh, let's hear Trump kind of weigh in on, on what the optics would have looked like on that. She, um... Fauci, Anthony Fauci misled the Senate when he said that the NIH did not fund the gain of function research. Mm. Um, should you have fired Fauci? So a lot of people ask me that question and I did it right, because if you do fire him, you're going to have a firestorm on the left again, as usual. Um, and I didn't listen to him. If you think about it, he wanted to keep our country open to China, and I closed it. He wanted to keep our country open to Europe, and I closed it. He talked about masks being no good. Well, I'm not a huge mask believer, but I think they have some purpose. And now he's a radical masker. I mean, everything he's done, he's a great promoter. He's a bad pitcher. He was telling me what a great athlete he was. I said, you can't throw a baseball 15 feet. I, I never said that was other than President Obama. It may be the worst throw I've ever seen to home plate. Uh, no, I think I did the right thing because... We would have had a firestorm, less of a firestorm now if he was fired because he's been wrong so often. But if you think of it, he wanted to keep our country open to China, Europe and all these places. And I didn't do it. Well, I mean, you know, other than the sports stuff, that's things that we've heard before. But he definitely is at the center of all this controversy to where we're at right now with COVID. Definitely. I mean, and he has been the worst. Uh leader by simple type of thing like he's been the worst i mean we've seen him with no mask um then he says wear a mask and then you see him with no mask and then two masks and three masks it, it's, it's insane he has played so many people and it's so crazy how the left has used his narrative to i would say like like he was saying to weaponize uh the country yep. look at i just read um new york is is voting on a bill for uh for january 5th for supposedly um covid camps. people and definitely <laughs> yeah. if they're not vaccinated are you kidding me communicable diseases i believe it's not just for covid it's for any communicable disease right? i say get the heck out of new york if <laughs> you can right now didn't they strike that one down just because they were they didn't want the 
right wing nut jobs to be able to use it. Oh no, it's on the ballot. No, wasn't there? I saw something about no, it's, it's being voted on. Um, this on the, week. Oh, maybe it was something else. Yeah, I don't know. There was week. one. No, yeah. they're gonna have the the COVID camps in Australia are coming to New York City soon. And let me tell you something: the weather in Australia is a little bit more marketable than it is in New York in the dead of winter when they want to be putting people in probably Rikers yeah. Island for not getting vi- uh, vaccinated. It's horrible! They're literally quarantining people in, in like concentration camps. Like that's yeah. how they look like. Yeah. But it's even for COVID, which is a scary thing. Like if that bill were to pass, they they it's for any disease that they deem um, a danger. Well, they're, which, they're making it more of a broad spectrum. So it doesn't look like it's for that. But guess exactly. who they're going to be going after? You think patriotism is going to be on that list soon? All right, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's probably communicable disease patriotism. Well, I think one of the biggest issues we saw uh, when Trump was in office, we talk about it on the show all the time, and we circle back to it when we have any of the Trump administration officials on here with us, was was the way things weren't able to get done for the first 18 months of his presidency, and a lot of that goes to a bad appointees and hirings. We're seeing a lot more in the movement right now heading into the midterms of good people that we hope get into Washington, D.C., but... You know, it's one of those things we can't really allude to that till they get there. He did kind of touch on it, though, and it's good to kind of hear him uh, continue on this narrative. Guys, we had great people and we had some bad ones. I mean, Sessions was bad and a man that followed him didn't want to be impeached. Uh, You know, a lot of them were fine. And then they're politicians. As an example, I had no real problem with Milley until he did the, the walk. And the radical left said it was a bad thing to do, and he apologized for it. And then when also when he said it's cheaper to leave the equipment in Afghanistan, I said, you got to be kidding. I started to realize this guy's not too good. But he's a politician, and he goes the way the wind is blowing. We had great people, but we had some bad ones, and so does every administration. You know, we appoint thousands and thousands of people. 10,000 people get appointed from the White House. We yeah, but these were people in key positions, yeah, and you kept yeah. them on. I'm glad she asked that. Against you, yeah, they good. were recommended. All of them. They were recommended by people. Uh, now I know everybody. I know people in Washington that are so so great. But when I got there, I was in Washington 17 days my entire life. How many days? 17. His entire life. Pretty interesting. Um, he said that many times. He yeah, does. and I'm glad she asked that follow-up question because, you know, that's one of the things that we've heard Cash yeah. and Dr. Navarro say. And they always mention how many, you know, they said it's like within the first week there's 3,000 appointments. Okay, that's yeah. a lot of people, especially someone for who's not a Washington insider. He said it would eventually get to his biggest 10,000 over the course of his administration. It's in actuality probably more. But right. she asked that follow-up question. Yeah, but it was some people on the inside. You know, you had the Speaker of the House working against you. It looked at times like the Vice President was working against you. People in your own cabinet who you served with in the private sector for years. You got Purdue. You got Vince McMahon's wife who was all in there. You appoint Mitch McConnell's wife to some big cabinet position. And then you have all these people stabbing you in the back almost immediately because they know when it came to borders, the economy, China, and all that other stuff, all these people were completely embodied in special interests from their time not serving in government. I mean, they literally are the special interests. And well, then you're putting him in so, cabinet. Huh? The swamp is so deep. He even said it himself. He's like, I knew it was deep. I didn't know it was this deep, you know? And, deep, yeah. yeah. And I think that, you know, like back to Fauci, for example, right? People are like, why didn't, why didn't he fire him? Would we in the entire world have known all the shit that Fauci has done in the past? I mean, a lot of us knew to a degree, but would we have known this guy was the, like the new Mengele, for example? <laughs> Mengele, he called me Mengele. Mengele. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and, 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 all the others, 
he pretty much cleared the chessboard, you know, for whenever, he, if he decides to run again or come back or well, whatever. Like, Dr. You know, Dr. Francis's last day, Dr. Francis Collins, his last day at the NIH was yesterday, I think. By leaving Fauci in place and exposing a lot of this stuff going on with the Wuhan lab and gain of function and, and the vaccine stuff, it all gets tied back to that guy getting out of a big position way earlier than he probably would have if he could just skate on yeah. by and, and make vaccines for the next 20 years. Uh, one of our favorite topics were touched in this interview with Maria as well as it'll be the last clip with her before we circle back to the history event with Bill O'Reilly. And that was Trump talking about Hillary Clinton. We've mm-hmm. seen her uh, more prominently out in the media the last couple of weeks. Uh, hyping up January 6th, hyping up the midterm elections and talking about how all the, you know, freedom loving patriots who are all racist and want to overthrow the government are actually running for it now. And and we all know it's because Hillary's trying to position herself with Joe Biden's low numbers, Kamala Harris's unattractiveness, Pete Buttigieg being unqualified and some of the more prominent governors like Gavin Newsom and um, Andrew Cuomo kind of negating themselves out for the way they handled COVID. Hillary's moving herself on the chessboard back to be the prominent face of the Democrat Party and probably looking to get in to the 2024 presidential election. Let's hear him kind of weigh in on, on his love for her. Clinton said that if you win again, it is the end of democracy. Mm. Will this be a rematch? Oh, I have no idea. I hope so. I mean, I'd like that. But, <laughs> but look, the woman's as crooked as can be. She cheated on the election. They spied on my campaign. Remember, I put out that little statement. They're spying on my campaign, and all hell broke out. You know why it broke out? Because they knew I was right. They knew I was right. And all of these things that happened, and we caught them. Let's see what happens now. Let's see what happens to Hunter. Let's see what happens to all of it. Just So, you know, it also came out yesterday, uh, and this was a pretty good deep dive from uh, Technofog. Uh, it came out on his Telegram originally before it migrated over to Twitter that the focus of the Durham investigation has now zeroed in on the Clinton campaign and what they did during the uh, 2016 presidential elections with the causing of the disinformation that led to the Russiagate scandal, in addition to probably weaponizing the FISA courts and the spying that went on against the Trump campaign. So that's like a little early Christmas present for us. Uh, Becky, why don't you weigh in on Crooked Hillary and and what do you think her moves are right now? You know, she's done the masterclass. She did the uh, cable news cycle of of interviews last weekend talking about the state of the Democrat party. And I see you laughing the whole time we're playing the clip. So I'm sure you got some wonderful things to say about her. Because I mean, she's just trying to take some ride with the situation. Like you said, Um, she's trying to stay relevant. She thinks she has a shot this time. She's like, Oh, finally I can, you know, she probably thinks that Biden in fact did one. So now she's like, oh, so I can win because those 80 million people are going to vote for me, too. (laughs) Oh, oh, so you you feel like the 2016 or the 2020 presidential election was rigged and stolen? For 2020, yes. For 2016, they tried. We broke the system. But they didn't try that hard because they didn't didn't think that Trump was going to win. I know, right? I know. It was so delicious to watch because I remember voting for Trump. You know, 2016, I lost a lot of friends at that time. And I even lost more friends in 2020. I got canceled <laughs> concerts, canceled events. I, I said, I don't care. Like, que me importa. I don't care. <laughs> you know? Hey, you made great friends oh, like us in turn. importa means I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> that by was the way, for me too. By the way, I just made uh, this song with DVS 7.0. It's called Liberty or War. It's super cool. You have to hear it. 
it's uh my first patriotic uh song it's it's i'm just singing like a little part like in spanish is it liberty of war liberty or war or war okay i'm, I'm yeah. noting that so i can check it out later. <laughs> <laughs> so um it's crazy because miss hillary clinton it's like lady sit down <laughs> just enjoy your retirement You have no more bullets and your bullets, whoever, whatever bullets you have, they're expired. They don't work. I don't know. However you want to call it. This, this is not going to work. Give it, give it a try. If you, if you really want your party to do something or to hurt a little bit with some numbers, give it to any other liberal out there in your party, a young face. Maybe you can try with uh, La Loca or Gracia Cortez. Maybe you can try with her. Maybe you can try with somebody else, but Hilary, really, in serio, I don't think so. Us neither. And it is pretty funny that she's trying to make herself the savior of the Democratic Party right now. Consequently, yeah. it's also the week of the savior, Christmas week, getting ready to celebrate Jesus's birthday. Uh, believe it or not, Papacito touched on it during his history event with Bill O'Reilly and, and talked about, well, it's the boss talking about the boss. And years ago, an angel, the Lord appeared And really, it's, uh, it's been a long and beautiful history. But an angel of the Lord appeared to humble shepherds and proclaimed the reason for our Christmas joy. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Now, when I was listening to Robert, uh, perhaps unknowingly, you use the word savior a lot. And our country needs a savior right now, and our country has a savior. And that's not me. That's somebody much higher up than me. Much higher up. Excellent save. Love it. We just do what we have to do. But the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ forever changed the world. You know, I love the fact that the way he gives commentary on the Bible and then he segues it into just like a campaign speech. He's like, they, yeah. they, they, they built a manger. He's like, I've, I've seen a lot of mangers in my day, but let me just tell you, this manger was beautiful and the humbleness of these shepherds. <laughs> very, very humble. Probably the most humble shepherds you'll ever meet. And, and it's just like, you know, it's, it's one of those things where – you can't make this shit up. And it, it's good to hear him kind of capitalize on it. I think that was an ex excellent save. That was, You could just tell how sharp his instincts are. You know, they, oh, yeah. they clap when he says Savior, and he's like, wow, this could go probably one of two ways. I'm going to go with God. It's it's Jesus week right now. So let's let's yeah. ju let's jump into it and stay on that narrative. But, you know, it was pretty interesting to hear him read uh, from the Bible there and, uh, you know, give the fans a little bit of, you know, some service that, that's just as wholesome as when he's given a campaign speech. Um, the last thing he kind of touched on, and it's like the way we always try to, uh, you know, our, end our pieces of Trump's is what he sees forecasting for the future. He's extremely in insistent about the best is yet to come. I, I think we could all agree on that with the state of things now. Um, well, it can't get any worse. Uh, well, I don't know. Death camps are coming to New York City, so don't we'll see. Yeah, yeah let, don't let, say that. Let's hear threatened with death. And very, very upset. But seriously, we have a incredible country it will be more incredible in years to come we will do what has to be done to make america great again we are going to make mm. america great again we are never going to forget that message and i want to thank robert 
and Amy, and I want to thank everybody in this audience. And it's, we have to say, it's America first and make America great again. And we will do it. Thank you all very much. Thank you. Great honor to be with you. Thank you, Robert. Thank you. So not bad. Pretty wholesome message heading into the Christmas week as he's probably on his way back to Mar-a-Lago to do some fancy parties with families that will uh, <laughs> be showcasing on the show here moving forward. Um, so, so what do you think? Do you, do you buy into that narrative, Becky, that the best is yet to come and that, you know, things are going to get better. We're so beat up right now. You know, there's a lot of people out here fighting, but a lot of people admittedly say they get pretty tiresome of it. It seems like we're getting hit from all angles. And every time we seem to get one fire under control, there's a completely new out of control fire right behind them. I mean, we are a very resilient country. We are a very, very, very strong country. And the media is showing us um compliance from every angle all we see is people complying 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 people getting arrested because they want you to feel like that they want you to feel like more alive hope they want you to feel like just give up just yeah, give up alone. guys we won um and it's not like that when you when you know about numbers and you know about your country's geography and you see all these amazing states um, where the majority of the people, because if you go by elections, you're going to go crazy. But if you go by how people voted per county throughout the whole map of the United States, you can tell that a lot of people. And now with after this whole year of the presidency of Joe Biden, there's more people now thinking like us. And, oh, yeah. and these whole mandates have united our country uh, because I remember last month I was marching in New York with the Freedom Rally and a lot of people there, they were not Republicans or conservatives. They were people that are against mandates and the people that are again man against mandates. It's a lot of people, majority minorities, the minorities are against the majority of the minorities are against uh, the mandates. You know, you go to a uh, more predominant uh, minority town, like my town, and majority of people are like, no, I'm not getting that. I'm not getting it. I'm not getting Like, people don't trust it. But it's not because they don't trust it because, oh, yeah, the vaccine is good or bad. It's because when you push somebody something, they don't want it. Like, don't push it to me because I don't want it. It's like telling somebody, uh, a kid, don't do this. They're going to end up doing it anyway. Yep. So just tell them the cause and the effect of the problem, and then they'll think about it, whether they do it or not. So um, that's the problem we're having where, yes, we are feeling probably hopeless or get, like giving up or like, why am I going to do this for? Why am I going to vote? Or why am I going to run for this? Or why am I going to do this? If this is going to be the same outcome anyway, the people are supposed to be paying, they don't pay. But if we continue to feed that narrative at uh, the narrative of the left, we are not going to succeed as patriots, as lovers of this country. So we have to fight our own fights. I will say starting in our communities, you know, there's a lot of seats to be filled that you don't even have to run for anything. Like I remember my seat as the chairwoman of Elizabeth was empty for the last 15 plus years. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we have the same mayor 
four years and he doesn't even have to do no campaign. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? And then I have 254 seats in my town that I have to fill. Nobody needs to run for them. I just need people to say, hey, I'm here. I want to be part of your committee. And, and we have to do that in every city and town in the state. And my state is one of the smallest states of the country. Imagine everyone else. If we all put a little bit of effort into just spreading the word, um, you'll be able to and expose yourself a little more out there. You'll be able to recognize that you're not alone. And there's a lot of patriots behind you, supporting you and thinking alike. Yeah, 100 percent. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's it's organizations and grassroots movements like that where you don't even have to get elected. To, to get into there, you just have to volunteer some of your time and then be willing to do a little bit of the work that kind of, uh, it's, it's contagious and, 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 you know, it, it really extends out into the community and it's making number one, education and awareness a whole lot more. Number two, it's given us numbers, which is something Republicans and conservative historically don't have, you know, uh, mm -hmm. it'd be pretty weird if Seth Keschel came on the show a little bit later today and talked about how Republicans will just win seats, governorships and places in the Senate because they're a Republican, you know, and it'd be even weirder if he said you could take our microphone and run it in the state of Wyoming and it would win by a landslide um, because <laughs> it's, it's just a place that elects Republicans. And so, you know, it's, it's one of those things in the areas where we don't have as much and never had as much reach. People like you and, and, and the grassroots movements that are really working right now really help out and, and, and are changing the tide of things, um, you know, moving forward ever since we've kind of had to recover after the 2020 election. Yes. And I and, and to go back to your question, I would definitely trust President Trump with my vote again. One hundred percent. Yeah. I'm with you. Nobody's perfect. And he's he's almost there. <laughs> there you go. Basically, compared to I mean, like you said before, he's one of the best we've ever had, you know, yeah. and, and, I, and I think I think history trying. history will tell you that regardless of how much they try to cancel out his history in the, in the current oh, yeah. times. Uh, moving moving around right now, you know, we're going to jump into COVID for the holidays, COVID for Christmas section. Um, we, we have had some news there. I just saw uh, while I was listening to you guys a portion of the Jen Psaki press conference. It's awful. I, I won't even play it. But we'll, let, let's paint a little picture of kind of where we are in the narrative with, with the pandemic right now. Um, you know, the, the team from the uh, COVID response, uh, including the coordinator, parroted the message of Joe Biden in a in a teleconference this weekend that was broadcast online. Uh, CBS played portions of it. That's where I ripped it from. And, and they actually parroted Joe Biden's message of the vaccinated people can prepare to like overwhelm hospitals and essentially die this Christmas. Maybe that creepy thing like where the news repeated like all the same well, paragraphs. Yeah, essentially, you know, it, we had bad audio of it last week of Joe Biden, but let's hear them say it now. For the unvaccinated, you're looking at a winter of severe illness and death. For yourselves, your families, and the hospitals you may soon overwhelm. Okay, well, uh, hopefully like we make hopefully we make it to show 100. I mean, this, this is 92. So, so well, maybe cringy. we can do a live show from the hospital when we're overwhelming it. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. We could hook our uh, we could hook our microphones up we to can the do ventilators. The re overwhelm America <laughs> tour. Oh, there you go. Even better. Um, yeah. So that's kind of uh, that's an awful message <laughs> heading man. in. I, they're just, there's, you know, this that's literally a threat if you really read into it. You know what point. I mean? It's Christmas I, I, it's week, and it, this is yeah. the message. 
I mean, when you could go out and, and, you know, from the other side of the aisle, cherry picking Monday morning quarterback, all the things they've messed up, the economy, the border, Afghanistan, you name it, they've fucked it in the last 11 months. But then, you know, it, two weeks ago, you would have to be really on the fringes of you know, conspiracy reality saying, well, you want to know what? I bet you Christmas week with a tapestry of Christmas decorations in the background, the president of the United States is essentially going to go up there and say, I hope unvaccinated people overwhelm hospitals and yeah. die. Can't wait. Die. It's insane, really, to be honest. It's it's crazy. And, it's just, and it's like, OK, like even the people on the left that have some semblance of a brain, not, you know, left to any brain cells at all, like wouldn't they look at that and be like, that's a really negative message. It's extremely dark. I mean, you can't get much darker than death. Like, why couldn't they just say, you know what, just be safe, you know, mask up, wash your hands, blah, blah, blah. Enjoy Christmas. Make sure you're vaccinated. But no, I hope you fucking die. So, and then overwhelm the hospital. That's literally what they, that's that's literally the message. Like, that just shows how desperate they are. You know, it's just Merry Christmas. I hope you die. Mary Deathmas. Well, as I previously mentioned, this was yesterday was Francis Collins' last day of work. He's technically the director of the NIH through the 31st of December. However, they shut it down for the holidays, ex- at least for the executives. As of yesterday, he did the cable news circuit over the weekend and, and parroted some of the things which are in stark contrast to any of the evidence and, and, and definitely doesn't support any of the facts that have come out from this. Um, he talked about one of the things I saw specifically that this whole virus stemmed from a bat soup cocktail and it's it's well bar do you get that at huh huh yeah exactly it's one of those things where you can't believe that someone with such a a brain and you can only tell how it's you know just the money that's talking here really tries to take all the blame game off of the wuhan lab leak theory but i guess it just follows this track with the early days downplaying or trying to discredit the lab leak theory from wuhan uh why why spend the time doing that when we're talking about observation, description, experimentation, and explanation? I mean, now it seems like the lab leak is a real possibility. How dare you? Well, Brett, I'm really sorry that the lab leak has become such a distraction for so many people, because frankly, we still don't know. There is no evidence really to say most of the scientific community, myself included, think that is a possibility, but far more likely this was a natural way in which a virus left a bat, maybe traveled through some other species and got the humans, hmm. and there was no lab leak involved. We won't know unless China decides to open up about this, which they have not done, and no, shame no. on them for that. Dr. Gollins. You know, it's pretty funny if Dr. Collins would have just went, well, you know, I'm going to call the, the China lab leak theory in the same way you called the Arizona state federal election. <laughs> Extremely early and, and without any evidence, Brett. And, and, you know, the only time we usually play Brett Bear is when uh, people are crapping on him or pushing directly back on his narrative. In the last clip I have for Francis Collins, you kind of double down on, on another few things on his list of lies and propaganda. Uh, I want you guys to listen to this before we talk about it. No science is observation, description, experimentation, then explanation. But it seems that a lot of health policymakers uh, have been 
trying to silence opposing views. In a newly uh, released set of emails received from Freedom of Information Act between you and Dr. Fauci mm. in October of 2020, you referenced the Great Barrington Declaration. That was a group of epidemiologists and public health scientists who wrote, quote, we have grave concerns about the damaging physical and mental health impacts of prevailing COVID-19 policies. Continuing current lockdown policies are producing devastating effects on short and long- long-term public health. In this email Factual. to Dr. Fauci and Cliff Lane at NHI, NIH, you write, quote, hi, Tony and Cliff, see, and you connect to the Great Barrington Declaration link, this proposal from three fringe epidemiologists who mm. met with the secretary fringe. seems to be getting a lot of attention, and even a co-signature from a Nobel Prize winner, Mike Levitt, at also Stanford. Fringe. There needs to be a quick and devastating public takedown of its premises. I don't see anything like that online yet. Is it underway? Francis, did you write that? I did write that, and Why? I will stand by that. Let, let me explain. What was being proposed there was basically saying, let's not worry about mitigation. Let's just let this virus rip. Uh, This is, of course, before we had vaccines. And basically, these, I will call them fringe epidemiologists who really did not have the credentials to be making such a grand sweeping statement. A fucking Nobel Prize Just let the virus run through the population and eventually then everybody will have had it and will be okay. Hundreds of thousands of people would have died uh, if we had followed that strategy. So mm. I'm sorry. I was opposed to that. I still am. And I'm oh, not oh. going to re- um, apologize for it. There are times when people make He's crazy so fast. Uh, proposals on the basis of pseudoscience. And that needs to be called out. Right. But I guess it just follows this track with the early days downplaying or trying to discredit the lab leak theory from Wuhan. Uh, why, why spend the time doing that when we're talking about observation, description, experimentation, and explanation. I mean, now it seems like the lab leak is a real possibility. And they would kind of go into the clip we played previously. I wanted to kind of isolate them so you could hear that whole inner email change. And I can only imagine, because Freedom of Information Act requests, they have to be so specific. You can't just say, I want all of Francis Collins' emails. You have to say, I want a specific thread, or I need a specific like uh, date and time frame. So we're just getting bits of pieces from things that people are probably throwing at the dartboard. But Becky, does it surprise you to see that this kind of it's essentially hate speech that went on behind lines and through, uh, you know, secure cables between these guys saying that anything that came out that was directly against any of their opinion needed. I mean, he literally said it needs to be crushed. And, and it's one of those things poor where defense. Poor defense. Uh, uh, I, I believe a first grader can tell that this was leaked. It's like, oh, like when 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 I hear them saying it was naturally uh spread it sounds so stupid and dumb like how can something can naturally spread when it doesn't exist and the only thing it exists is in a lab that they own and are running it's like it exists there it was originated there we have doctors that have come out and said i know it came out of this lab because it has traces and all these viruses have their own print it's like a fingerprint and it was it's registered and all these tests and all these uh probes and blah 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 and all these have been registered under the you know these people and you're telling me it was not leaked anybody can tell nobody needs to be a scientist or anything like that to know that this was leaked it was not naturally spread uh like you said they're just like throwing spikes at each other to try to cover their butts and, and try to walk, walk on eggshells into the way they, they saying things 
because they kind of like, yeah, they throwing spikes at each other, but they're also covering their own butts. 100%. Okay, I'm going to throw you under the bus a little bit, but I got you on the other side. I'm going to pick you up. (laughs) And it's ignorant and and it's stupid for them. And then the other part where he said, oh, no credentials, but you have a Nobel Prize, but the guy has no credentials or any knowledge into saying what he's saying. Oh, a Nobel Prize for his research in epidemiology, which is Por favor. Yeah. well, they have no they have no problems discounting Nobel prizes like what ivermectin didn't they get a sure did Nobel Prize. Uh, Doctor Fauci, Doctor Fauci was big mad over the weekend because I don't know no. if, if you guys had saw Amfest is going on in uh, Arizona. There's been a lot of big prominent names speaking there throughout the course of the weekend. I think they're in their last day today. Yep. Jesse Waters took the stage and made some. Uh, you know, interesting comments about Dr. Fauci, where he kind of parroted a lot of the elected officials back in, you know, 2016, 2017, who talked about finding, harassing and making it so that Trump administration officials were not able to walk down the street. That's how uncomfortable they wanted them to uh, be due to the fact that, you know, the, the public should make their their life such hell, um, you know, that they can't even walk down the streets. Jesse Waters said something along those lines at AmFest this weekend, and uh, it was asked to Dr. Fauci when he appeared on CNN to cry about it. On the subject of divisiveness, Dr. Fauci, I'm not going to play it because, frankly, I think it's dangerous. But, but Jesse Waters, who was a Fox News entertainer, was giving a speech to a conservative group where he talked about you and suggested to the crowd that they ambush you with what he said was some kind of rhetorical kill shot. That was his exact word. <laughs> I'm wondering, you know, how much that concerns you when you hear language like that about you and your your well-being. <laughs> well, John, that's horrible. I mean, that just is such a reflection of the craziness that goes right. on in society. The only thing that I have ever done throughout these two years is to encourage people to practice to listen good to public me. health practices, to get vaccinated, mm. to be careful in public settings, to wear a mask, and for that. You have some guy out there saying that people should be giving me a kill shot to Except that time when he me. said, don't wear a mask. I mean, what kind of craziness is there in society these days? That's awful that he said that. And he's going to go very likely unaccountable. <laughs> I mean, whatever network he's on is not going to do anything for him. I mean, that's crazy. The guy should be fired on the spot. Well, well, there he is, well, dictating policies that yeah. go outside of the scope of his job. I think he should. you should be fired on the spot. What I have to do. Yeah, it was it was pretty funny with Jesse Waters. About said. to cry. Very well received. <laughs> the only thing I've been doing is contradicting myself no, no, at every to, turn. You have to say it with more like a like a crying tone. Yeah. He was crying. <laughs> well, we, we, that is horrible. Cry, baby. We do have some breaking news from from the the Byron administration right now. Byron. Jen Psaki gave her press conference earlier, and I'll give you the footnotes. I don't want to play her audio because it was so cringy. She said. Literally, this is what she said. Vaccinated people are hiding in their homes right now, unsure of their health status, and we can only assume why. Because because we're all out there waiting to get them. Oh, my goodness. Where is these people getting these things? Do they have somebody from Hollywood, like, making quotes off or something? I mean, come on. I mean, the only (laughs) hiding I do in my home is because I'm antisocial and I hate people. Again, it's it's Christmas week. I still can, hate can we just can we just put vaccine mandates aside for a few simple days to celebrate the birth of our Lord? Oh, I thought you were going to say I shouldn't hate people anymore. The answer to that is no, because <laughs> happening during this show, almost live, Joe Byron just gave his 
Christmas message to the nation. Let's hear. A, oh, a, I don't want. A, I don't want to hear it. A brief talking no point from way. that. <laughs> All these people who have not been vaccinated, you have an obligation to yourselves, to your families, and quite frankly, I know I'm going to criticize for this to your country. Mm. Get vaccinated now. It's free. It's convenient. I promise you, it saves lives. Can I get a cheeseburger with it? And I honest to God believe it's your patriotic duty. There it is again, using oh. that, weaponizing that word patriotism. Yep. Been doing so. that. So wait, so wait, you're telling me Merry Christmas and die. <laughs> and now you're telling me with a nice voice that as a patriot, I should get vaccinated. I wish you would have thrown some whisper yelling in there. That would have been really good. He he kind of, he kind of whispered a little bit. He was trying to use his calm voice, but mm -hmm. it's like, you just told me to die. Like, I hope you die. I hope you get, you know, in the ICU and all these tubes in your body. I hope you die. And Merry <laughs> Christmas and Happy New Year. Yeah. You know? And now you're telling me with a calm voice, hey, you know, you love your country. If you love your country, get vaccinated. <laughs> exactly. Not a duty. <laughs> I, 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 I have a duty in my pants. <laughs> Really? I can't. Doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Well, in our, in our final clip of, of COVID for Christmas, mm. uh, Peter Navarro and Steve Bannon weighed in on the war room this weekend. They had they did a special on Saturday, which was called the trial of Dr. Fauci. And for as much as I wish he was really there, it was this them and 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 Robert Kennedy Jr. kind of breaking down both of their books and meeting in the middle on how Peter Navarro's timeline and Robert Kennedy's accusations um, kind of meet and, and, and seem to justify each other. And they also pointed out the fact, I don't know if it's exactly in this clip, but they have talked about the fact that neither one of them has been sued for their narratives, which include putting out two New York Times bestselling books. So if what they're saying is false and it's all conspiracy theory and it's just lies from the right and the white nationalists, then why isn't people from inside the federal government stopping this book from being you know, distributed or suing for false pretenses? And Robert Kennedy even went to the extent during that interview to talk about they've, the book just came out, I think, within the last month or two. They've already gone through eight editions making clarifications to minor mistakes that they made. And they said, that's what happens when you make real books about real things. Sometimes there's a little bit of a blip in the timeline that you might not be accurate about. People point it out. We immediately get it out of print and put out a new edition. Let's hear what they said here when they weighed in on Dr. Fauci in our last clip in this segment. Always bring facts. You bring receipts. You bring evidence. This is why you've been right on, on the trade policy, on China. This is why you've been right on the stock market calls. This is why you've been right because Navarro brings the evidence. Did Fauci, in any of these classic confrontations, was it about therapeutics, uh, what happened in Wuhan, the travel ban, later on the vaccines, did Fauci ever in a room debate you on facts, bring evidence, bring science, bring data, sir? Mm. No, he did not. I think the, the best story in the In Trump Time book is when I met him in the Situation Room, Vice President Pence was chairing a meeting on hydroxychloroquine uh, that, that I had specifically wanted to get. And we had everybody in there. We had Han from the FDA. We had Jerome, the Surgeon General. Uh, the CDC was there. Fauci was there. And um, there was a lot of support for hydroxy in the room. When it came to Fauci's turn, he goes, anecdotal evidence say it doesn't work. And at that Sounds point, like that email thread. In the In Trump Time book, I walk over with a stack, Steve. It's this high 
of scientific studies, and I slam it down right in front of him, point to it, and say, Tony, that's not anecdote. That's science. You need to read that and stop saying that crap that you're saying. And it shut him up for about two days. And then, as I talk about in the In Trump Time book, CNN and Zucker weighed in with all this hydroxy hysteria, and he gained control of the whole, Fauci gained control of the whole situation, but never on the basis of science. Remember, there was, a, there was an old uh, uh, comedy act that they did on NB, NPR about Dr. Science, like mocking the guy. When Fauci says, I'm science, I represent science, you can't attack me. He never presents any science. He just asserts that he's science. And, and so Good it point. goes. And, you know, I, I, I just, yeah. I mean, he, he has to go. If I had one hope for the In Trump Time book, which is why I want to get it out there, is to get Fauci out of government, okay. into jail, and to stop jabbing our six-year-olds. That is criminal child abuse. There you go. So it seems like, and that's a really good thing because they asked Dr. Collins about that email and they kind of paint a picture backwards about how, you know, this information is getting out here now. And it seems like when Dr. Peter Navarro talks about the hydroxychloroquine and alternative therapeutics in the early stages of COVID, it seemed like once he got shot down inside the situation room of the White House, what he did was he went and cried behind the scenes to MSNBC and CNN. They painted a false narrative about how this therapeutic is really not going to work in killing people. They started news stories with it, and just in time for the weekend, he then goes, appears on all those news shows, demonizes it, and eventually kills it for the rest of COVID all the way up through now. I mean, you could get it from, like, Dr. Stella and places like that, like we all have, but, you know, you can't go into a pharmacy. They'll, they'll literally let you die other than get ivermectin or, or hydrochloroquine right now. Yeah, one-size-fits-all treatment. Yep. And, and I have my theory as a former, you know, medical care uh, ex-hero, because <laughs> if I'm not vaccinated, I'm not a hero no more. Oh, yeah. An ex-American hero. Uh, let me tell you something. It was all about the money. Compare the price of these uh, therapies and the vaccine. So it was not because they wanted to jab everyone or they wanted to mandate. The reason why they're mandating this and the reason why they are trying to kill the therapy is because the therapy is not as... Um, creating revenue as the vaccine the vaccine is creating such a revenue you know and and it's common sense so they killed the theory of the -the over-the-counter things or like oh let me prescribe it and even there are many uh states that avoided for the doctors to be able to prescribe that based on the um the diagnosis you know, and it was it was so hard like that. Why? Because a lot of people with power were able to move some, you know, pull some strings to what? To block people from getting the over-the-counter things or to getting these prescribed things because they wanted everyone to focus on the vaccine, yep. which it, it created more money for them. It was not because they don't work, but because they don't work for their pockets. Yeah, 100%. Mm-hmm. And I think moving forward, we're going to continue to see this stuff be exposed. And then I hope so that some of those committees that everyone who's running on an America First agenda is promising now, after the midterms really you know, comes to fruition and we see these guys be held accountable for what's turning out to be, at the end of the day, crimes for things that they've done during this whole pandemic. As we're getting a wrap now with Becky, this Tuesday edition of Steak for Breakfast, ma'am, it's been an extremely pleasure to uh, get to know you today, get to know your heart, and some commentary on the news with us. We are going to for surely be asking you back to guest host with us. 
I'd like to get it done with Geisha Montez as well. I think uh, our, our fan <laughs> favorite, yeah, and you would be a pretty epic episode indeed. Um, why don't you tell our listenership where they could find you across social medias and any other way you want to get people involved to help out? Basically, just a little bit of closing on yourself before we cut with you today. Well, before that, I just want to say thank you so much, guys. I had so much fun. I definitely want to come back. And if Keisha and I are together, we definitely should call that segment the Montes. Uh-huh. <laughs> I like it. Got a fire. Done, done and done. <laughs> it's it's going to be amazing. I know that for a fact. Um, so you can find me as Becky Lexit. B-E-C-K-Y Lexit, L-E-X-I-T. Uh, for if you want to get involved with Lexit, you can follow me or the Lexit Movement. Uh, right now we're Shadow Band, uh, but you can follow us at Lexit Movement or Lexit Movement One as our backup page. And if you happen to be in Elizabeth, New Jersey, and you want to join my committee, you're more than welcome to do so. You can follow us at Elizabeth, New Jersey Republicans on Instagram and Facebook. Nice. Awesome. Yeah, you know what? I forgot to mention. Well, I did mention it in the beginning, but you guys are all talking. I was born in Elizabeth, New Jersey, so it's it's good to see uh, have somebody on the show that is representing my hometown. I'm, I'm that is yeah, cool. yeah. I, I moved down to the shore uh, in in the last time that I lived there. That's where my parents own their home. But uh, yes, I was for surely born in uh, Elizabeth. I lived in Sayreville for a long time before I lived down in uh, Ocean County District Three. And before, wow. before I left New Jersey. Yeah, so it's great to, to meet a fellow New Jerseyan. And uh, thanks for joining us on this Tuesday edition of Steak for Breakfast. Thank you. See you soon, guys. Oh, we're rounding third now, heading home on the news portion of the Steak for Breakfast podcast on this Tuesday edition. And I think it's probably important that the three of us kind of break down a little bit the, uh, well, we got like kind of a montage. But I think one of the things that this week showed significant importance in the news cycle was the death of the build back better bill and some of the memes that you know some of our favorites like grand old meme put out there he had the guy who was walking with the uh stolen merchandise on january 6th through the rotunda and he did like the cartoon bill and put joe manchin's face on that guy <laughs> like he was holding it so it was, it was it was pretty good memes out there following it i think a, a lot goes to you know we talked about a whole bunch of things and we probably will with Seth Keschel as well later on about candidates and, and what the Dems are really missing out on right now. Instead of demonizing people like Joe Manchin, it would probably be better to tie their wagons around it for because for as not progressive as about he thanking is. thanking him? Yeah. Well, no, the, the thing is, as far as like a possible candidate would go moving forward. Oh, right. I would really see anybody on the America First movement having just as hard a time with someone running up against like Joe Manchin, who's not progressive at all, but probably one of the most moderate and, and would probably make a good president Democrats out there from their point of view. It, it just seems like the complete opposite. I, I mean, in, unless you're for like vaccine, everything pronoun, everything, you know, stay at home and not work, not go to school, zoom, everything. That doesn't sound like me. Everything, everything, money, green new deal, windmills, bullshit. Your farts are getting calculated into your, you know, social credit score. Exactly. Uh, that's what they want. And that's what they think the American people want. But I guarantee that narrative doesn't cater to anywhere between seven or eight percent of the entire population. And I just think that's the fact of the matter. Um, he jumped on Fox News Sunday to talk about, uh, you know, his non vote and saying he's not going to vote for the Build Back Better bill 
coming right at the same time where he says it doesn't look like he's going to be able to do thing for, you know, the same thing for the election, the voter integrity bill that they're trying to pass through now. Let's hear what he had to say. Uh, I've always said this, Brett, if I can't go home and explain it to the people of West Virginia, I can't vote for it. And I cannot vote to continue with this piece of legislation. I just can't. I've tried everything humanly possible. I can't get there. You're done. This is, this is a no. This is a no on this legislation. I have tried everything I know to do. And uh, the president has worked diligently. He's been wonderful to work with. He knows I've had concerns and, and, and the problems I've had. And well, I mean, it's pretty black and white right there, right? No means no. And, yeah. and now there's rumors coming out uh, that he's going to be the same thing on this voter bill, which would basically pack the voting system to ensure Republicans never, ever win again. I'm pretty sure it doesn't cater to anybody in his state of West Virginia either. And, uh, you know, it comes at the same time as right as I'm scrolling through Twitter and, and we're doing the show right now, I've just seen two prominent accounts, both tweet that Joe Manchin is again considering moving over to the Republican Party. Yeah. Which would throw the entire Senate in disarray a year before the midterms. It'd be insane. It really would. So uh, it's just one of those things where you kind of, when stuff like this happens, your administration really needs to bring out the big guns. And I couldn't think of anybody more either qualified and or intelligent to talk about this than AOC, who appeared on on MSNBC this morning to kind of weigh in how Joe Manchin is everything that's wrong with the Senate and completely forgetting about the first two years of the Trump administration when all of the Republicans worked directly against the president's agenda and the things that they swore they would work with him on when he got elected to office. It wasn't one or two senators. It was half of the fucking party. Uh, Let's hear about, you know, the bartender from Brooklyn Weigh in on uh, Joe Manchin and the senators. Let me stop you there. I'd just like to close my tab. Unconscionable. The way that the Senate operates, it's fundamentally undemocratic. Mm. And now what it's doing is that it is allowing the stripping of people's voting rights across the country. Mm. We are in a crisis. 19 states have passed over 33 laws to limit or restrict the right to vote in the United States of America. Perfect. We are beyond the time for something to pass. And my concern is that even Manchin's compromise or the fact that he was making statements just this past week that he was just having conversations with the parliamentarian about voting rights that were illuminating how has this not happened all year long and so what we really need to do is crack down on the senate which operates like an old boys club Mm. that has a couple of gals in it that have managed to break through. (laughs) And we need to actually institute some institution. We actually need to implement some institutional discipline. Excuse me. We need to institute some institution. What? Somebody needs to top off my Shirley Temple. It's not going to top off itself. And I could use some more wings. (laughs) Blue cheese, please. (laughs) Yes. Ooh, like blue cheese. Everything, nothing she said there was coherent. All I heard was that the Senate doesn't work. It doesn't allow girls to be in it, which is completely false. And then she makes, you know, they're starting to get down that road because I've heard some rumblings what the end game is. I just wish she would just tell us what the specials are. If they can't revisit Build Back Better and they won't vote yes on the voter thing, then they're going to move straight to packing the court and try to get it done before the midterm elections, which I think is just probably... It is the end of democracy once that happens. Yeah. You know, Hasn't, uh, like how many already have it? Like 40, I think. Was it 
that uh, Biden has packed the court with or judges? No, I'm talking about the Supreme Court and turning it into like an oh, in- intergalactic sorry. federation like they have in the first Star Wars movies. <laughs> you guys laugh now, but could be coming to a, to a Senate near you next year. So it's one of those things where, you know, you really have to take into consideration they don't send out the biggest retards in the, uh, the party to go and start to chirp on these narratives before they really send out the bigs. Right. So Jen Psaki kind of weighed in on, uh, you know, how Joe Biden feels about Build Back Better being Build Back Deader right mm. now. And she, she was a little testy yesterday and today coming back off of her three-day weekend. You'd think she takes the extra day off. She'd be a little right. chill not, not having it. Let's hear how she answered this up yesterday. I would say I think the uh, lengthy statement that I issued yesterday outlined pretty specifically um, the events of the last few weeks. And uh, it was important um, to the president and to all of us to make that clear to the American people, um, the status um, and the steps that had been taken. Uh, but I'm not going to relitigate uh, the TikTok of yesterday from here oh. today. Um, I will say that from the, the president's bong? viewpoint, and I saw him this morning, uh, he's worked with Senator Manchin over the course of decades. Uh, uh, they uh, share fundamental values. Badly. They're longtime friends. That has not changed. Uh, and what's most on the president's mind is the risk of inaction. And, what and time if launches. we do not act to get this legislation done and the components in it, not but only not will costs itself. and prices go up for the American people, uh, but also we will see a, a, a trajectory in economic growth that is not where we want it to be. And we've seen projections from Goldman Sachs and others today on that front. So he's no stranger to legislative challenges, uh, and we are going to continue to uh, take steps, work like hell to get it done. Go ahead. Does the president feel betrayed by his friend? Uh, I think our statement yesterday made pretty clear what we feel, uh, what was the uh, the, the yeah. factual uh, depiction of events that happened. But again, uh, the president uh, sees Senator Manchin as somebody who is a longtime friend, somebody who has worked well together on, uh, and our objective and our focus now is moving forward. Hmm. What do you think, Noah? That's strange that i mean that she wouldn't just be shitting on him yeah well i mean joe biden did go out and talk about he must still need something from him well you remember what he said about the bob dole funeral you know he picked me to read the ug well actually the sitting president usually talks about (laughs) people but then he alluded to the fact that they had been friends for a long time worked on opposite side of the aisle and rarely saw eye to eye in any piece of legislation either one of them ever worked on and he talked about that not compromising their friendship so I'm sure if she would have kind of went down that road that he does feel, I'm quoting now from the question from the pool reporter, betrayed and tried to shit on Joe Manchin like all the other people in the party have been doing. It's not the press tech's job to go and do that. Um, only oh, they got to factor in his lies into what their story is. Yeah, but I mean, it would have directly contradicted something that Joe Biden said no longer than a week ago. And, and you could have put those two clips together, her narrative and his narrative, and then they would have even said the White House is even more disconnected than we all know it is right now. Mm. Um, what do you think, Antoinette? I don't even know anymore. I can't even stand to listen to her. <laughs> be honest. She's not wrong. No, she definitely isn't. Remember, she said all the vaccinated people are hiding in their houses because of us. So congratulations, yeah. team. I'm going to go out later. <laughs> it's my day off. Well, we got to talk about a little cheese, man, because there was some good sauce that came out this week. Sauce. Um, regarding the most unpopular vice president in the history of the world. Oh, man. She's so unpopular. Instead of going out and finding the root causes of migration or doing anything in regards to working with the Guatemalan president, 
on the southwest border. Do something. Go pick up cans on the border. Do she, something. She did. She she jumped on the uh, she jumped on a a, a hip hop show. Oh, good. That's useful. With, with Charlemagne the God. Oh, my and, God. And it kind of went sideways. Oh, oh, I saw this one. Yeah, they, they, they asked her a question about who's really running the White House, and it came down from Joe Biden's gaffe where he called Dr. Fauci essentially the president. He was joking, saying that he sees him more, and that's why he made that statement. But, you know, when you have people really asking it, her cringeworthy response. The, no, though, the look on her face when and, the, and aid, the, way she was the po- aid was, like, jumping up, trying to, like, do damage control, and she's just like, I don't know how to. I don't know what to do. Like, I have to, am I supposed to pretend like I'm deaf? Like, what do I do? <laughs> well, you can pretend that we're not going to listen to it, but we're going to play it for our listening audience right now. Pretend harder. President of this country, is it Joe Manchin or Joe Biden, Madam uh, Vice President? Come on, Charlemagne. I really, come on. I, it's Joe Biden. I can't no, tell no, sometimes. No, 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 no. It's Joe Biden. Joe Byron? It's Joe Biden. And don't start talking like a Republican about asking whether or not he's president. Do, it's Joe Biden. Do you think Joe Manchin and, is and a problem? Joe Bi- and, it, and I'm vice president. And my name is Kamala Harris. <laughs> and the reality right. is because we are in office, we do the things like the child tax credit, which is going to reduce black child poverty by 50% no, on no. track to do that. No, it's not. We do things that are about saying that our Department of Justice is going to do these investigations and require that we end chokeholds and have body cameras. Stop it. It is the work of saying we're going to get lead out of pipes and paint because our babies are suffering because of that. It is the work of saying people who ride public (laughs) transit deserve the same kind of dignity that anybody else does. Is that the racist bridges again? So let's improve that system. So racist. It is the work of saying that we have got to bring down prescription drug costs that you because rose when you came into office. should not be dying because they don't have enough money in their pocket. Mm-hmm. It's about saying black maternal mortality is a real issue that must be treated by everybody, including the White House, as a serious issue. Okay? So let's, I, I hear the frustration. Okay. But let's not deny the impact that we've had and uh, agree also that I, there is oh, a whole lot more true. to yeah. be done. And it is not easy to do. But we will not give up, and I will not give up. I just want you to know that 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 Madam Vice President, that that Kamala Harris, that's the one I like. That's the one that was putting the pressure on people in Senate hearings. That's the one I'd like to see more often out here in these streets. Pretty interesting to hear that, you know, exchange between Charlemagne and, and Kamala Harris. What's also interesting to me, and something that we may or may not have talked about offline and argued about a little bit, was that the fact that they're seems to be something selectively edited from that that originally came out when the interview first aired. Um, no, I think you pointed it out. One of the aides kind of got a little bit testy with the question. Yeah, I was super confused because it wasn't there. And I'm like, what am I like? There's no way that you could just organically ask that question again and get her same response. There's no way. So it was selectively edited especially for the fact that they put a nice little icing on the cake of it at the end they're talking about exchanging pictures of each other's kids and stuff like that so it seemed like all was good um you know by the time the the interview segment was over but what you're not hearing is the fact that one of kamala's harris's aides literally shit her pants and forced herself (laughs) on camera at the beginning of that interview let's play you what really happened during that clip right now I want to know who's the real president of this country. Is it, Bi- is it Joe Biden or Joe Manchin? I'm sorry. I just want to interrupt and I'll take the vice president to hear you. It's Simone. 
so sorry, Charlie. We have to she, she can hear me. <laughs> can you hear me now? Can you hear me, Madam okay, Vice President? So I'm sorry. You got a rap. Oh. So I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt. They're acting like they can't hear me. Y'all see that? <laughs> I can hear you. Oh, so who's the I real? So who's the real president of this country? Is it Joe Manchin or Joe Biden, Madam Vice President? Come on, Charlemagne. I really. Come on. I, it's Joe Biden. Yeah. I can't no, tell. No, 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 no. You want to know what's funny? That's that's funny. When the when the community that Charlemagne the God represents, that demographic of the community is so fucking fed up with this administration that they'll do that to them. It's amazing. It says a, it says it says a, a lot. lot. He's a deep state puppet that calls that part, you know, that community, right? Yeah. So it does really say a lot. Yeah, and it's pretty interesting to see with, with selective editing. That that clip took a while to find the original one on Twitter, and it's been it's been he's essentially one, scrubbed for the doctored one. Yeah. I mean, Joe Biden told him, imagine, told him, if he, you ain't black. Yeah. I'm sure that was kind of payback for putting him on the yeah, spot for that, that one. exactly. <laughs> Well, we've got two clips left and we're rounding up this last segment here. I did say there were some best of the rest. We started with some interesting Kamala Harris interviewing. We're going to segue now to the Wicked Witch of the West, (laughs) Hillary Clinton, who appeared again on CNN this weekend, trying to make herself more relevant in what I think is a push for the 2024 uh, nomination. She's pushing all of her people out of the way and she's, she's trying to put herself across as like a, uh, a a familiar and probably more cognate voice, obviously, than the one that's occupying the White House right now. Let's hear when she sat down on CNN what she was talking about. Uh, the segment was on the state of the Democratic Party. Spoiler alert, we've already been saying that she's trying to wedge her way back into there as, as a prominent figure. L- let's hear the witch and, uh, you know, what she was talking about there. Right, uh, the far right, the Trump right, whatever you want to call it, uh, they do a really good job scaring right, people right. <laughs> and and making people afraid. They don't deliver for people, mm. except I guess in an emotional way. When people are frustrated, they feed conspiracy theories, they make up stuff, but they don't deliver for people. They don't take care of people. Look at what's happening now. All of these Republicans who voted against the infrastructure bill, voted against the American Recovery Bill that President Biden got done. All of a sudden, they're claiming credit. I was uh, smiling at one of the Republican governors saying, well, we still hate the bill, but we're sure going to take the money. So- mm. Mm. Yeah. I wonder what Republican governor she smiled at. Right. Did he turn to stone? <laughs> like Medusa? Yeah, she's uh, the absolute worst. She look like the, the Hillary to me. She looks like oh. the Hillary body double that got docs online a couple yeah. of years ago, just older. Yeah, yeah, no, like definitely, like like more like older and stressed out, obviously. And she does to me, honestly. I'm not trying to be all conspiracy theorists, but she really just doesn't to me look like the original Hillary that we that we were used to seeing. You know? Yeah, 100. Uh, percent Last clip of the day, as we're rounding up the news portion of this show, uh, Steve Bannon kind of weighed in this week on taking over elections in the United States, not literally, figuratively. And and packing those election polling places with something like the 90% Republican voter oversight turnout that we saw in the most recent Virginia elections, something that lacked in New Jersey, where we saw someone like Phil Murphy, who shouldn't have won there, uh, you know, beat Jack Chitterelli. Let's hear Bannon kind of weigh in, and uh, we'll talk about it a little bit after this. And guess what? We're, we're going to take over the election apparatus. 
American citizens that are volunteering. I understand that you don't think that's democracy because the globalists have kind of done the misdirection plays and had everybody looking the other way. No, 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 no. Those days are over. Because this audience has given of themselves before. They've, they've been in the military. They've been, uh, you know, uh, police officers and first responders. They volunteered for their country before. They've taken an oath to the Constitution before. And guess what? Uh, they are now going to volunteer again, but to go to become a precinct committeeman. They're going to volunteer to become a, uh, an election official. They're going to come and run for county clerk and overthrow these county clerks. They're going to take over the secretaries of state. Like Soros tried to do, like Soros tried to do, um, like Soros tried to do with uh, d- local DAs and secretaries of state. You know, Soros is a smart guy, but we're countering that, and we're countering that with the American people, and we're going to be relentless, and we're not going to give up. What do you guys think? I thought it was pretty solid. You know, it's 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 good to hear a narrative like that that kind of gets into the nitty gritty of where the people need to be. Uh, you know, getting themselves involved with, and I think pushing back on all of those people that were paid to run by George Soros is a good start. And I think it goes all the way up through the America first candidates that are running in both the house and Senate in the midterm elections. Yeah, I totally agree for sure. No, you look like you, uh, I know this is something you feel bigly about. (laughs) I just, I just want things to change for the better sooner than later. Yeah. We need to get to the bottom, 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 bottom. There's so much stuff that I'm just tired of worrying about and thinking about and being stressed out about. It's just not not where I want to be living right now. Talking about the the Walmart vaccine mandates? It's uh, (laughs) definitely a big one. Mm. I've been telling my friends, I was like, you know what? I'm already like, you know, I would make fun of people talking about like the alien invasion. Obviously, it's like been a narrative in like the conspiracy community. But I'm like this fucking point i'm welcoming because i just want some shit to pop off yeah maybe they'll agree with us <laughs> exactly could use some like freaking we come allies in peace but we come in peace but these guys are retarded you need to fucking drain your swamp for you because you can't do it <laughs> yeah it's just it's been really really exhausting bad. man i mean we've been that we've been in this shit for a while you know it's like okay how much longer what has to happen? What has to happen for people to just like realize that yeah. things are not okay? Yeah, and like let's all unite. Like let's just fucking take this shit down and take back our country. Let's do it. Yeah, and I, I think I think nobody could be more qualified to answer than some of those questions than the guest we're going to welcome in here in a minute, Mr. Seth Keschel. All right, joining us today on this Tuesday edition of Steak for Breakfast, coming back to the show after a little bit of absence. Due to the reason that he's traveling around the country and working so hard, exposing a lot of that uh, election-related material and then getting into a whole bunch of other things, Mr. Seth Keschel, thanks for joining us today. You bet, everybody. Thanks for having me back on. It's quite an honor. Yeah, the honor is all ours. How you been doing, sir? What's been going on in uh, your neck of the woods? We know you've been doing a lot of traveling, and uh, we, we've been sharing a lot of your information coming out about the election stuff. Why don't you give us a little lead-in on just how busy you've been? Well, that's an understatement of the week right there. The woods, I'm in the Northwoods right now. Oh, nice. I'm in, I'm in Sheboygan, Wisconsin, have an event this evening to speak with locals about it. We're beyond the point of just talking about the 2020 election and showing we all know what happened in 2020. We're more along the lines of giving action points to where we are now 13 months after the election, but also discussing the key issues 
that are prevalent in the 2021 cycle of history. So we're going to be, I'm here with a friend of mine, James Tesoro, who's a local here in Wisconsin, another former army officer. And he is a local leader that ran for mayor of Sheboygan here recently. Okay. Well, that's good. Now you touched on that. Let's, let's run with it a little bit. There is a lot of people in the, in the, in the Patriot community and movement right now who are, we've, we've sitting on so much information. We've seen, you know, stuff at the court levels all in Georgia, Pennsylvania, Arizona, Michigan and Wisconsin, we, we've seen a lot of roadblocks set up, uh, not by people from the other side of the aisle who would you normally think, like, you know, regular attorneys or election-related attorneys and stuff like that. High-powered D.C. defense lawyers um, who usually work criminal cases go down and set up a lot of the roadblocks they do in big trials to kind of slow the spread of information stemming from a lot of the work that you've done. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about that kind of where we're at? Like, okay, we know how the election was rigged and stolen. We saw that it was so many different things, not just numbers, voter rolls, uh, past practice principles that were used, uh, maybe in small levels that were used widely, probably some outside interference from other countries, et cetera. And, and then what you think, uh, you know, getting past this roadblock we're at right now and moving forward into the midterm, some of the things we need to do. Well, People have to govern all of their action plans with reality. And unfortunately, that's something that people don't like to like to say. Well, it's kind of like, why don't they vote to secure our border? Well, do we have 60 conservative votes in the Senate? Well, the answer is no. You would probably need 80 Republican senators to pass any sort of conservative immigration reform with the way these these folks vote. So there's reality. So that's why you have to look at everything through the lens of, okay, can we actually get enough votes for this or that, which is why at some point, unfortunately, politicking is necessary. But when we look at the election fraud in general, what are the ways in which election fraud can be spotted and addressed and potentially reversed? There is precedent for races being reversed and proper winners seated. It's just never occurred at the level of the most powerful position in the world. Right. So early in November of 2020, we had evidence. We had written affidavits, which at minimum demanded a full addressing of the concerns, which were leading to narrow margins in Georgia, Wisconsin, Arizona, Pennsylvania, all over the map that could have reversed the outcome of the Electoral College. The legislatures had the first crack well actually but even before the legislatures you're looking at the at the individual counties at the precinct level or the counties certifying or decertifying results you remember wayne county in michigan detroit the the republican there did not want to certify the election results but was coerced into doing so then of course these election results are certified by states and the secretaries of state legislatures have the ability to address the allegations of fraud as well. And they punted on that. Many did so under the pretense that the courts would get it. The courts will grab it. We have a deadline we have to make to certify the elections. And then you saw what happened with the initial challenges in the courts. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of dust flying in the air about whether the cases were good or whether the cases were bad. Look, it was a very short period of time in which people had to respond to deadlines on the election. So there were certainly errors. There were certainly things in there that were that could have been stated better or more clearly, but there were also very clear allegations of fraud, very clear documentation of what is written evidence sworn under penalty of perjury. And then the courts threw everything out under procedural grounds. The worst of them was Texas versus Pennsylvania, which was very well thought out, sent straight to the Supreme Court. And it alleged that Pennsylvania's practices disenfranchised the 38 electors from Texas. And then a bunch of other states signed up on that as well. And you could have said Michigan's did, Wisconsin's did, Georgia's did. And what you wound up having was the Supreme Court throw the case out on lack of standing. 
So really, the issues surrounding the election were never addressed, where I figured that at least what you would see is the courts would take the cases up and maybe throw them out. It's possible. You know, I figured it was possible that the, that the courts would would punt on the issue, but I thought that they would hear it before they made the wrong decisions. So those the biggest issues you have are that. So now, where do we stand 13 months later? Well, we've had a full forensic audit in Maricopa County in Arizona, which is another point of contention. Keep in mind, there were five months that elapsed from the time of the election in Arizona or Maricopa County to the beginning of that audit. Mm -hmm. And if you thought that there weren't going to be 2.1 million ballots on hand, and if you thought that Biden would not have more tallied votes than Trump in an audit in which they had five months to ensure that the counts and tallies matched up, you're crazy. So the report on September 24th of this year, which revealed the, the outcomes of the Maricopa audit, did show substantial fraud. And the goal was not to provide numbers in a recount. And it was not to say, well, if we take out this ballot or that, McSally would have won or Donald Trump would have won. The point was, was this a valid election or not? Is your show a podcast or not? Hmm. So that is the answer is the election was something that you completely cannot certify. That is why this election is really not an election at all. Almost from everywhere from coast to coast. Very few counties are, are exempt from the issues that we saw, just some had different scales. So where we are now in 2020 is we're running low on time. Full forensic audits take a long time. It doesn't appear that Arizona's at any hurry to do anything about the results. People have put their hopes on the attorney general, which I'm really uh, pretty bearish about, to be honest with you. But you can see that there are canvassing groups out there that are showing the truth. So hopefully in what I would call a two front war, there are changes that must be made legislatively to clamp down on future elections, but we can't let 2020 go. You can't do that. No, it's, it's one of the, yeah, it's one of those things where you can't just look at the overall numbers and seeing some of the stuff that's come out lately. I mean, just when you take some of the States like Georgia and Wisconsin that have already cleared hundreds of thousands of people's from their voter rolls, you know, we had Christina Bob in here uh, two weeks ago. She worked on some of the initial legal teams, Rudy's team right after the election and now she's doing a lot of around-the-country reporting for One American News. We had Bobby Python on here last week as a guest. He's running for Senate in Illinois. He, he's worked and crunched some of the data on a lot of the election stuff, too. And they, they all circle back to the point of, of that there's so much there there. Just moving forward and trying to do a better job of securing the midterms elections is not going to be enough for the uh, – you know, outcomes to be where they, where they legitimately are as far as like numbers and votes and, and the, it actually counting. I, I do like the fact that you kind of said, you know, the 2020 election where all the things that were in place to go and uh, make it come out the way it is and to bring us where we're at now, it's kind of like just going through the motions. It's almost like political theater to just say, you have an election day, we're going to ignore all the stuff that goes on, whether it be Mark Zuckerberg's money, whether it be early voting, later voting, where we're counting it from, unsolicited mail-in ballots all over the country, and then think that a president who's polling in the the high 20s right now, you know, only 11 months after being sworn in is the duly elected and legitimate president of the United States. You have to kind of have to go and get your head examined. Yeah, I would 100 percent agree with that. And we are reaching a point of saturation in which 52 to 56 percent of the country, depending on which poll you're reading, 52 percent in CNN's own polls. Goodness sakes. Sponsored <laughs> poll from CNN shows 52 percent of Americans don't trust our system of elections. That's the way they ask that question to get the answer about 2020. Now you have 56% in polls like Rasmussen, and that's a more direct question. Do you believe that the 2020 election was tainted by cheating, decided by cheating? I would imagine, depending where you go, you have anywhere, I bet if you went to Pennsylvania, you have 65% of the state probably believes the election in the state was compromised. 
you know, you go, go to Massachusetts, it might be less, but you have a very high number of people 13 months later that are very concerned about elections in general and certainly the 2020 election. And the worse this administration performs and the outcomes are felt by the entire electorate, the higher that number goes. But I don't think it will go higher than about two thirds nationally. You have 30 percent of this country, which is asleep at the wheel, that will not believe anything, even if it was spoken from the White House press podium. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And Noah refers to those people as the ones who like to take pictures of their food all the time and they just kind of bounce through life regardless of... Yeah, it's business as usual for them now. Yeah, regardless of whether or not the border hurts them, the inflation hurts them, the taxes hurt them, the elections hurt them, they'll just kind of... It's like the little kid that's chewing in that video and it's like, no, it's fine. Yeah, and you see them dry heaving. Yeah. <laughs> that's Often seen outdoors on a beautiful day with a mask on by themselves. Yep, uh-huh. doing it, running. Yeah, running or swimming. Yeah. You have not seen somebody swimming with a mask on, please. Oh, I've seen pictures of them online. Oh, it's ridiculous. Oh, I've seen it. (laughs) Oh, there you go. No, I saw it in person to go. I could not believe my eyes. I was in Vegas. I I stopped at the casino and I saw somebody in the pool. Just went to say hi to some friends. And I was like, holy shit, is this real life? Like hanging hanging out in the pool or like doing laps? Like just hanging out in the pool or doing laps? They they were in cool like you're doing like the little frog like you know just like wow <laughs> and it is instances like that of the people whose minds you'll, you'll never change mm-hmm. um seth I, I do want to segue and touch on a couple other things going on while we have you on the show today first of all the southern border uh, i do think that in some way this does tie into election related stuff but even if it doesn't just national safety and and the sovereignty of our nation in general um you know things that you definitely uh fought for when you were in the military and had, you know, did your service to the United States. Uh, why don't you touch on a little bit about how, you know, from your angle, to maybe tying it into elections or otherwise, the, the, the crisis that's happening at the border right now is one that's really affecting our nation and, and moving forward is going to cause some big problems for us. This is something that plays into one of my strengths, which is making math make sense at the, at the lowest level. And I don't mean lowest to call anyone unintelligent. Now, we have plenty of people that are unintelligent. <laughs> But one of the key things any veteran knows, especially officers, is that orders, written orders in the military are expected to be written at an eighth grade level of reading comprehension. Why is that? It's because you need your orders to be clearly understandable by the dumbest person in your unit. So people don't get confused with wording and do the wrong things. So orders are supposed to be plain and simple, not full of words people can't understand. And when we look at everything that is going on numerically, It's a numbers game with the border. We have 330 million people that live in this country. One out of 24 people in the world are American. That means 23 out of 24 people. That is over 7 billion more people in the world that are not Americans. So when you look at these people who are these so-called immigration activists, that's not immigration. That's illegal entry. When you look at this issue and you ask somebody a simple question, how many people should we allow into this country? Should we allow everybody to come into this country? Because the stats are also clear, is that almost 50% of the world lives on less than $2 a day. I would be willing to bet you that you have probably almost 50% of the world, if given the opportunity, if you could teleport to the United States, would you come? They would. So at what point in time do we reach a number? And it's the same thing with elections. It's like, how many votes is just simply too many votes? That is my argument. Because I'm measuring rate of change. You know, what if Biden would have come in with 150 million votes? Right. You know, is there not a number? Is there not a number in which you're going to say that's not normal? 
that's really not normal. It's like if somebody walked in and they're seven foot five, <laughs> like, I mean, I guess it's possible, but it's not really, you know, uh, it's not something that comes in the standard range of statistics. So the border, there has to be a number of people that are allowable into the United States. We already allow a million legal immigrants in here every year. Then we have God knows how many illegal immigrants come in because the number nationally has been stuck at 11 million for at least 20 years. No way. Which oh, yeah. is yeah. Then they tell you there's a net outflow. I don't believe that. So where, you know, do people fail to understand this? But this is a political problem as well. The way it should be addressed is an economics issue, especially when your audience is the minority working class. Mm-hmm. Conservative populism attracts minorities of all races. That's why you saw Donald Trump improve so heavily with Hispanics. And even if you look at the Hispanic numbers now, it's amazing. Hispanics, according to the Marist poll that came out yesterday, which is if you believe polls, but the Marist poll said that Hispanics approve of Biden at a 29% approval rate and a 66% disapproval rate, which is the highest of any ethnicity in the country, even the white non-college voter. That is absolutely astounding. So the illegal immigration issue is an economics issue at that level, because what's happening is people are coming in. They're settling in these cities that are near borders, Houston, San Antonio, the Rio Grande Valley, Phoenix, Tucson, Southern California. And they can come over for a short period of time, get paid under the table with no benefits. And guess who goes back home and gets on the welfare roll and then votes for the welfare party? Okay, your citizen who is impoverished and has less access to education to better themselves. That is a reality. Now, we also have the political implications of that. Our censuses account for population. They don't account for number of citizens. So California gets to artificially inflate its electoral count. I have no idea how many illegal aliens are in California, but California is going to be worth, I think, 54 electoral votes going forward. I think they lost one. They did. But- Right. So how many how many electoral votes should California really have if only citizens were counted? Now, you could make the same argument that Texas is probably inflated by a couple, but it disproportionately favors New York's, Washington's, Virginia's, Illinois, the states that are that are loaded down with illegal aliens. So if you add all that together, you know, the Democratic Party may have access to 15 or 20 electoral votes that should not be theirs just based on inflated population alone. So what that truly is, is a civil rights violation of all other Americans, which violates your right to accurate representation of your voice when your state doesn't have enough political clout because it's overwhelmed by people who are gaming the system. The illegal immigration issue is a crisis. The Republican Party allows it because it provides cheap labor for donors. And the Democratic Party allows it because of political gain. And what it does is it divides the population and it creates an emotional issue that neither party actually wants to solve. Yeah, so that's a really good point there. When you tie it into economics and just use, like you said, when the seven foot five person comes in the room, it kind of throws the whole algorithm out of whack. But it's something that everybody just continues to ignore because, you know, what's the first thing that everybody likes to turn on you as soon as you try to break down the immigration issue? It's that all. Here we go. Another white politician, racist politician from the Beltway is going to try and send everybody home. And that's usually never the case. Um, well, then it, there's the black white supremacist uh, politicians. Yeah, we did, watch out for those guys. We did have one of those on our show last week. Former assistant HUD director John Gibbs, who's running in Michigan 3, uh, he said he was definitely considered part of the uh, what was it? The, the black face of white supremacy, yeah. especially when he brought, uh, you know, huge printouts of Donald Trump tweets to. Uh, their agenda meetings and they didn't want to get their uh, items looked at because they thought they were too taboo to touch. And he's like, guys, the, the boss is tweeting about it. We need to get this. We need to get this going. Nice. So, so he said sometimes it works. Sometimes he didn't. 
Uh, but that's something I want to talk to you about now that I touched on, on John Gibbs. There are a lot of great America First candidates running out there. We've had a couple dozen of them come on our show. I mean, you don't have to name names, but do you uh, see moving forward towards the midterms, a lot of these guys that are coming out there, I'll name some of them, Anthony Sabatini, people like Joe Kent, Mike Collins, I already mentioned John Gibbs, Steve Kara. These are guys, you know, you got uh, Caroline Levitt up in New Hampshire, um, people that have worked in the administration and, and really tried their hardest and all have come on our show and talked about how the most difficult thing to try to do in getting the president's agenda out was working with those career politicians and unelected appointees in Washington, D.C. You could probably tie that into some of your, uh, you know, military experience, maybe even talk about national defense. But but before we get into that, what do you see about this? Do you see a difference in this crop of, of young Republicans coming out and heading into the midterms that really look like they can change the uh, way of thinking in Washington, D.C. if an overwhelming majority get elected to the House and Senate? I'm going to be once again bearish on my statements because what I would expect. So political science tells you that a first midterm of any party. So this would be a Democrat midterm 2022. It should be a bloodbath. So the the party that's out of the White House should clean up, especially with narrow, a narrow House majority that the Democrats have in that 50 50 Senate then you're looking at a Republican takeover of both chambers, historically speaking. And I would absolutely anticipate that to be the case for a variety of reasons. But what you have to look out for is the same thing in 2010. The populism surge that is going on really in, on both sides of the political spectrum. People don't understand this, that the left is in the midst of a populism surge as well. But their candidate gets suppressed every time. Now, that's been in the body of Bernie Sanders the last two presidential cycles. Yep. But you see it manifest itself in people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez or these people from the squad. I don't like them. I think they're vile. But they are a bit different than the standard corporatist Democrat Party, and they're pretty vocal about that. Five out of six Democrat primary voters under the age of 30 voted for Bernie Sanders in 2016, and probably so again in 2020. So eventually that dam is going to break in which the Democrats will one day nominate somebody who is an out-and-out socialist member of the AOC wing of the party. Mm. But the right has embraced populism since at least 2010. That was the Obama midterm in which the Tea Party came around and the Tea Party fielded all these candidates that won up and down. They took over the House and almost took out the Senate. And then, of course, in 2014. But what happened was, even as far back as 2010, there were people that hopped on board the Tea Party train, knowing that that is the way that the wind is blowing. Yep. So likewise, everyone knows that every incumbent in the Republican Party is basically in jeopardy in some way, shape or form depending on their state or area they represent. Now, if you're a rhino Republican and you're from the suburbs of North Chicago, you're probably safe. But if you're pretty much anywhere else, you better watch out. So what the next best thing can happen is, is for people to plant fake America first candidates. And they will look at 2020. We had Nancy Mace was elected as yeah. a Trump supporter from the low country of South Carolina. And before Trump had even left the White House, she was against Donald Trump. After she'd sworn in, I think they swear out on the 2nd or 3rd of January, the House members that were elected in 2020. So this is a problem that we all have every election. And we all sit there and, and, and this is fine to war game it now. Right now we're on the populist train. We're going to get rid of every Republican and restore liberty in this country. But six months from now, everybody's going to be in election mode and it's going to turn into we can't let the Democrats win. So we'll vote for this rhino. Yep. Unfortunately, what happens is we put ourselves in this position of accepting the lesser of two evils for so long 
that we still get further down the road. So when you give in an office like a governorship or a the presidency, so some House seats are going to be safe forever. They'll elect a Republican forever. Yep. They will elect a Democrat forever. The Bronx will forever send a Democrat to Congress. The Plains of Wyoming will forever send a Republican to Congress. But what happens when you give a governorship to a Republican? Let's say you're a state like Michigan, and every other cycle you'll get a Republican governor. Every eight years you'll throw a Republican governor out there. Unless you put in a true America first or a, a populist that's going to make the economy work for Michiganders, then you're going to waste 11 years of a GOP governor, okay? And you're going to kick the can eight years down the road and get eight years of a Democrat governor who's going to reverse the course even further downhill. And this is why we never get out of it, because we vote for the lesser of two evils. And of course, voting is only as good as the system of counting votes and reflecting the will of the voters, which of course, thanks to 2020, is something very focal. I don't think we focused on this issue of whether our votes are even valid until 2020. And it took 74 million votes to highlight that. Yeah. Which, which we always like to point out definitely shows clear evidence, regardless of what happened on the other side with the vote totals, that that was for surely not a referendum on Donald Trump. You don't increase your vote totals by that much in, in such a critical time when, when he was really getting beat up from all angles and, uh, you know, call it an American referendum on Donald Trump to elect the most popular president in the history of the universe. Well, I just think it's amazing that people are going off the rails about this saying that it's impossible and it couldn't have happened, but their side was literally talking about the exact same thing. Well, like years, 2015, yeah. like even earlier than that, yeah. like yeah. about dominion, about yeah. ballot harvesting, Smart about Matic. redistricting and all of those things. And, and now it's just kind of gone into the wind because it, it served them better to, to install this regime. I also think it's good that you pointed out, you know, how important those elections are outside of the house and Senate going with the governorships and even below. I, I've, I've seen some editorials written over the last, like, you know, probably six, seven months saying, why is Donald Trump even wasting his time endorsing like mayors and secretaries of state and state legislators? Well, you know, changing those local senates to align with someone that you're going to elect in the same party as governor kind of puts you in a better place to get legislation passed and, and really make the America first agenda work for the state. If you find a really populist governor who's going to win a Republican seat, but He's got a Democrat secretary of state and attorney general, and, you know, it's a, it's a minor uh, majority or even a minority in their house. He's not going to get much of his legislation passed unless it's through executive order, and then people start calling him a dictator. And like you said, you essentially wasted a great candidate on bad legislation. So I think, I think it's awesome that you pointed out that thing, and it's something we try to, you know, pick up on our show, too. And, and as a side note, when we have these America First candidates on, even a lot of the ones that worked in the Trump administration or have been recently endorsed by him, we try to hold their feet to the fire. We, we really have a list of, you know, some hot topic agendas that people that are in office right now don't really want to touch. And we want to kind of hear their hearts on it, because I think that's when you get to the bottom of it. If you just say, I'm going to be America first because I love America and you don't want to talk about voter integrity or, you know, you know closing the border and, and getting that problem figured out and, and some of the other problems that we're having in D.C. right now, then you really don't deserve a vote regardless of who endorses you, in my opinion. 100%. And we also put way too much weight on President Trump's endorsements. Yeah. You know, he's a, he's a human being. He is prone to be pushed to support various people who may or may not be good. He also has his political reasons for certain endorsements, which I'm certain is the case in Georgia. Yeah. But, you know, people need to, in primaries, they need to research candidates. And my, my, my view is simple. I think if you're average Joe Plummer, or electrician or IT support specialist, and you've never run for anything before, you're just fine to run for Congress. That's the kind of person that you should be. I don't think that anybody who's been in in politics for a long time really should be somebody we should be behind. 
Yeah, if, if, if you're one of those people that are coming from politics and trying to get onto a higher stage, you better have a, a extremely transparent voting history of going with the Trump agenda. Even if you were in just state legislative, if you were really trying to push these things on your on your governor and stuff, people like Steve Kara, you know, he was in state legislation. I think he said for two or three terms, but you can go back and look at his voting record. You know, he, he's gone after uh, Gretchen Whitmer since the beginning of COVID. And even before that was talking about how illegal immigration is ruining the state of Michigan and how there were so many things done in the 2020 presidential election. He's one of the only state legislators that came out and talked about all the problems that they had in Michigan. But I definitely get that point and and 100% agree with you on it. Um, Last thing I kind of want to touch on was national defense. Michigan has issues. Michigan has issues all the way from Lake Michigan, all the way up to the Upper Peninsula, and all the way over to South Detroit. Yeah, yeah, they certainly do. I I lived there for about 15, 16 years. It's it's bad. You guys didn't catch my South Detroit reference, but okay. (laughs) Uh Mm. (laughs) I like it. Um. The last thing I wanted to touch with you on was national defense. We have not had you on since the debacle that was in Afghanistan. I don't know how you identify it with your pronouns. It was either surrender. It was a complete disaster in our opinion. And and we've highlighted all the stuff going on there. We had Cash Patel on not too late um, ago. And he kind of said that if General Milley makes it to the spring, he'd be surprised because he's going to eventually be the fall guy for this. Um, You know, that, including some of the things that are heating up across the world, we've seen China and Russia uh, share a taco man uh, last week. Xi Jinping and, and, and Vladimir Putin, they, they shared tacos at a summit talking about how they're unified in their fronts. And I think by unified in that front saying the America's you know, military is going to be in a really bad spot if we both start skirmishes in Taiwan and Ukraine simultaneously. That, you know, going into reentering negotiations with Iran, anything that you could weigh on? On some of that stuff, we'd love to hear about it. Afghanistan's a, a debacle, but it's not the first time Afghanistan has been somebody's debacle. Mm-hmm. They call it the graveyard of empires for very good reason. Yeah, The British failed multiple attempts to pacify that country. The Russians failed. The Americans, we failed. Now, that in all fairness, that war was destined to fail since 2001, 20 years ago. So the fact that the Afghanistan war failed is the result of many bad decisions over two decades. The fact that it failed is not necessarily Joe Biden's fault. Now, the way it failed so spectacularly with moving people around or withdrawing people was certainly Joe Biden's fault. And that is why everybody has so accurately derided his decision-making. But here's the fact, counterinsurgency does not work. People teach counterinsurgency as doctrine in military intelligence world, really just in, in military academia in general because it's the way of warfare in the modern age. This is how people get their combat commands, is counterinsurgency. Historically, counterinsurgency only works on islands because navies can patrol the island and they can keep people and weapons out of the island. And once that is done, you can isolate the population friendly from bad and eliminate the bad and pacify the island. But Afghanistan is the size of Texas. It borders six other nations. And several of those nations are funneling fighters they're funneling rockets and weapons and money, opium, all kinds of stuff in and out of that country. And the people that are getting run down and greased by special forces, coalition forces, regular soldiers are pretty much pawns on the chessboard. Yeah. So it's like an unlimited spawn on a video game. So they will never run out of 19-year-old Afghans that are willing to die for their homeland. Mm-hmm. So what we've done here is created a, a self-licking ice cream cone of sorts. 
and something that will never end. And so, yes, like I think that the decision that the Trump administration was on for, which was getting out of there. Now, the reason you don't get out all in one push, right? People are always wise. You still got troops over there because if you pull out right away, you're going to have a, a Biden disaster yeah. like that. So when you're handed a dirty diaper, you can only manage that dirty diaper that you're handed. So I think that Trump's heart was absolutely to get us out of all foreign entanglements properly over time. And the proper America first response is to not enter said foreign entanglements. And that includes the other issues you've mentioned with Iran and other nations. Armies, militaries in general are meant as a defense force to train and prepare other nations and coalition partners for War, okay, not necessarily offensively. Now, unfortunately, China is on the offense. Yes. Eight years ago, I was an S2, an, an intelligence officer in Alaska for a couple different units. And our job was to understand the Pacific theater. And we saw what China was doing in the theater long ago. They're literally building artificial islands in the ocean in which they can dock their massive Navy. They're taking over spot by spot in the South China Sea. And they're encroaching on all of their neighbors, especially Australia. And they are absolutely an offensive force seeking to put pressure all over the world. And really, you know, if we're if we're stretched thin in places like Afghanistan and fruitless wars that aren't going to produce any results, then the military is fundamentally not capable of doing its job. And then when you go down even further than that, look, the point of the military is to fight and win the nation's wars, period. It's not to take care of anybody's feelings. It's not about discrimination. If you're 450 pounds, you're not going to be able to run from the enemy. You're not going to be able to run towards the enemy. You're not going to be able to do basic soldiering tasks. So the military's job has never been to make people happy. So the social issues in the military are absolutely toxic. If you want to find an institution that probably has less racism and bigotry in it, you're going to be hard-pressed to find one that is more tolerant than the military. Agreed. Because most, most people – are happy to get the mission done. And anybody who served to tell you this, yeah, there's absolutely bigots in every walk of life, including the military, but most of them are too afraid to say anything about it because they'll get an article 15 and lose their career. Mm -hmm. So people generally choose to get along and complete the mission. And you may have to have your life saved by somebody belonging to a people group that you don't like. So most people choose to get along for the sake of the mission. You don't have to force sensitivity training on the military, and you definitely don't have to fundamentally alter the way that the military operates, which they've tried to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's definitely uh, really sad to look at the state of the military right now. I know we've seen from a lot of our listeners, you know, we've seen real examples of literature that they're trying to pass. We've had people talk to us offline that have, you know, said, uh, the people who have moved up the ranks into, uh, you know, places of appointment in the military have been kind of spoon fed the Surgeon General and, and Dr. Fauci's narrative and, and preach it on to the, uh, you know, people that work under them and serve under them in their units as gospel. Um, that's, you know, we've heard that from multiple people that they just can't get over the fact that this is, you know, the military that we're working in now combined to the and the fact that you have the, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs walking around saying that he wants to find the root causes of white rage and then says that he's going to look for it in the American military, which did, didn't make any sense to me and really puts a, a bad light on something that's one of the sparkling examples about how great this country is. And this, these guys having to sit through some of that nonsensical training, too, rather than do their job. Yeah. It's got to be insulting. It, it puts us in a really difficult spot with some of those foreign theaters really heating up. Yeah, it's completely unacceptable. The role of the military is to fight and win the nation's wars, period. Yeah, I like that narrative. Seth, this has been really good circling back with you today. 
Uh, you know, we, we track you, we share a lot of your information, you know, you, you're, you're putting it out there, you're constantly working and we here at Steak for Breakfast, we really appreciate the fact that you've done so much on your own accord to go out and really fight for the, the best parts of this country. We want our listening audience, if they're not following you already, to be able to find you on social. So whatever you got, I don't know if you, if the Telegram or Twitter, wherever you're located on social media, give it and we'll live link it in our show description today. My telegram is at real S Keschel, K-E-S-H-E-L. That's where I have my largest following, where I put most of my information and insights. I have Twitter. I'm surprised I'm not banned from it yet, but that's <laughs> at Me S- too. <laughs> yeah, So, but I don't use it a whole lot, and really I just use it to kind of throw barbs around and quote retweet stuff. But um, look, everybody watching, you got something you care about, and it's not just elections. We have so many issues. We have a, a crisis with medical freedom. We have a crisis with education system here, teaching our kids to hate. This yeah. modern day CRT, modern day segregation. Yes. We have yeah. the standard we have the standard freedom issues. You have the standard conservative issues. You have the passions like pro-life movement, which is a worthwhile one. And I would encourage everybody to pick their lane. Okay, don't get stretched so far thin that you can't have an impact. My lane happens to be elections. I can give you knowledgeable insight from having served overseas about foreign policy. But typically I stay away from areas in which I have little experience or knowledge. So if you have the knowledge and you have the passion and you got the skills, then you need to put them to use because if you sit there on your skill set and you don't use it and you count on other people to use it, then you're kind of we're kind of kicking the can down the road. And it's a late hour in this republic. Republics have a shelf life. So we all have to be actively engaged. It sounds like sunshine pumping, but it's not. Yeah, it certainly isn't, and and that's that's a really good point. I do like that angle that you're you're putting out there to kind of you know find out what your talent is and pick your lane. Whether it's getting involved in local elections to serve at the you know township or county or even state level, whether it's you know into elections and you want to get into like poll watching and stuff. There's a lot of parents who are now becoming professionals and advocating against things like CRT in schools, and and hopefully eventually up into the military and stuff like that. You know, and it, it, it's a good point that you make and and one that we don't hear enough. Well, Seth, we thank you for coming back with us today. We wish you the merriest of Christmases and holiday seasons and uh, look forward to sometime next year, you know, reconnecting and having you back on Steak for Breakfast. Absolutely. Thank you guys for, for having me on. Merry Christmas to you as well. Not bad for a Tuesday. Bad worse. News was great. Seth Keschel was amazing as usual. Of course, we were rock solid. You know what else is rock solid? All the places you can listen to the Steak for Breakfast podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Podbean, Google Podcasts, FM Player, and now iHeartRadio. Subscribe to the show and rate it. Leave a review. Don't forget to download, listen, like, follow, and share Steak for Breakfast content. Show creds of the week. We want to thank both of our guests today, of course, Mr. Seth Keschel. And getting a meter for the first time was pretty awesome. I think the uh, circle back with Geisha Montez is going to be even better. Miss Becky Lexit. In addition to uh, some of our usual internet friends, Cagbro88, Babe Does the News, since Patriotic Babe number 49 was nuked. Uh, Mr. Garbaggio, the Garbaggio accounts, Christina Bob, host of Week in Review from One America News, Mike Crispy, the Right Side Broadcasting Network, and Red, White, and Based. And Mr. Tom Pappert, Editor-in-Chief of the National File. Guys, don't forget to help make small, American-owned businesses great again. All of our partners. My pillow. As Christmas comes and draws near, Mike Lindell is set to travel to Kentucky 
In addition to all the aid that's being given out to the people who are affected by the hurricanes, he's going to pass out 10,000 Giza pillows. Nice. Yeah. You could get a little bit of a steak discount. MyPillow.com forward slash steak. Steak at checkout for up to 66% off in addition to all of the extra holiday savings. And via the telephone, 1-800-658-8045. West Coast Survival Arms. Go get yourself a gun. Go get yourself some ammo. Go visit Mike. WestCoastSurvivalArms.com. Newly redesigned website. You can reach him via the telephone at 619-870-6992 or via Facebook Messenger. Man Rubs. Don't mistreat your meat. Manrubs.com, Facebook, Instagram. Rub it up, smoke it, throw it in your mouth. Num, num, num. Nothing? I like it. Says loving like man rubs. <laughs> Stay ready, gear holsters. Melt plastic into your favorite pictures. Wear them concealed. Stick guns in them. They got a brand new shop. They're finishing orders faster than ever before. WestCoastSurvivalArms.com. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram. Mediocre Medic. Support the host who supports our first responders. They got a bunch of great gear on or off duty. MediocreMedic.com. They've got a pretty fire IG. And then Home of the Zero Fucks Duck. Dump Box. Go give Mark a visit. Go spend some money at Mark's place. He's a uh, great patriot and true American, and, and so are a lot of the uh, quality products that come out of dumpbox.us. Find him on Instagram. Find him on Facebook as well. Upcoming shows. On Friday, Christmas Eve, we're going to have James, host of We The People Radio, and Catalyst Jones, host of the White Rabbit Podcast, join us for a short Christmas special. On the 28th of December, we're going to be right back following the holiday with Andrew McCarthy running in New York 10 and Bianca Garcia running in Texas 11. On the 4th of January, Patrick Witt, who's running in Georgia, is going to be joining us. And so is Casey Wardinsky, who's running in Alabama 5. On the 7th, we'll have Bradley Lanning, who's running in Pennsylvania 1, and Alex Phillips, who hosts the American Priority Festivals. We're going to get to find out everything he's got going on with those events and how you can get involved as he travels around the country. Kelly Cooper from Arizona 11, a candidate there for a house seat, will be joining us on the 11th of January. We're going to circle back with Amanda Milius on the 14th. Episode 100 on the 18th of January. Nick, Noor, and Geisha are all confirmed. It's going to be a great time. And on the 21st, we heard Seth Cashel talk about that awful candidate in South Carolina. Well, Lynn's Piper Loomis, the person who's running a primary her in South Carolina 1, she's going to be joining us. Guys, in addition to that, we've got some awesome guests we're working out final dates and times for. I just don't have them for you yet. Blake Masters, who's running in the house. Eric Greitens, who's running in the house. Caroline Levitt, who was the assistant press sec under Kaylee in the Trump administration, who's running in New Hampshire 1. She's going to be joining us shortly after the new year, and as soon as we get to those dates, we'll lock them in and get them out to you. Um, Friends of the Week, got a bunch of them. Let's go, Brenda. Truth on Draft 2.0. The Duke of Memes. Sublime and Slime. Dank Elvis. Nice. Had some good ones this week. Madam America, that southern dude who consequently now has mostly peaceful memes and one other joining us. It's going to be a meme team version of the news Steak for Breakfast podcast coming in January. Nice. Snack Nicholson 2.0. 
what I mean to say, Terra and Texas, mostly peaceful, already mentioned them, and uh, our new best of the last, Pubertos. Yeah. There we go. Guys, thanks to remember between now and Friday. First of all, Merry Christmas Eve. Yep. That's a good one. Do your own research. Uh, Becky stressed it today. Seth Keschel has uh, stressed it both times he's been on the show, and it's probably one of the most important things to remember. Start a podcast. Super easy. Yeah, no work at all. Doesn't take any of your time, and I'm sure your spouse will love it as well. Let's see what happens. This has been episode 92 of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. We'd like to again thank our guests, Seth Keschel and Bexy Lexit, for joining us today. And on behalf of the pod team, I'm Roan. Noah? Later. Excellent job. Antoinette? Bye, guys. Have a good day. We'll see you on Christmas Eve. Take care. coming to town he'll put you in a fema camp he'll take your guns away they'll teach your three-year-old to get blowjobs and that's just today it's the satanic new world order we'll abort your baby after they're born we'll teach your kids to take ketamine and dance at gay bars when they're 11. because satan claus is coming to town